0: Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram, Eric Mathie, and Matt Beckberger. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Simon. Hello, Eric.
1: Simon, how are you?
0: I'm very well. And hello, Matt. Hey, Simon. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Um, Right, first of all, I just wish to say thank you to Derek and Jackie Sue Johnson for being with us in our last outing um, really special to be able to spend uh, time with you so really appreciate that it was uh, it was a, it was a, it was an experience it was um, it was just great to be there now Eric I think uh, you might want to just say some words on that
2: yeah,
1: well, David.
2: I think somehow you you said you Derek. Up, yeah, you I spooshed up Derek? David's famous name. My you name, did say you know,
1: Derek. You know, yeah, yeah, you said Derek and Jackie. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, was, I was too polite to pick you up on it, but
2: yeah. But you know, just for those of you who are listening, it was David Johnson, um, legendary <laughs> Bay Area native, uh, son of the Bay, as they say, uh, ninety-five. And yeah, it was really an incredible experience to to talk to him and uh, Jackie about pretty much their life you know a life of growing up in the segregated south and learning from Ansel Adams and Dorothea Lange and like Minor White you know like 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 i said during the during the podcast you know like people that any of us would give any number of body parts to spend like one lesson from like one class let alone all of them for years like that's just a mind blowing thing you know like, nowadays in modern photography, it's it's hard to think of giants like that, you know, names like that who are that big as they were back then, you know, let alone all of them, all the ones you can think of, like, right now and congregate them into one little faculty group to teach you, like, so, yeah, it's amazing, and and just everything else that he did for civil rights and unionizing and everything else, like... You know, they, they don't make people like that that so, often anymore. So, yeah, it was amazing.
0: Exactly. Um, so, um, right then, this week, uh, we're going to do what we've been saying that we've been going to do for absolutely ages because we have quite a few emails. Not a huge amount of emails, but the, the emails are, are quite in-depth. Um, and, uh, and Matt has come along to help us with this task. Um, so, uh, shall we dive into the emails, Eric? Uh, sure. <clears throat> Excuse me.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few, and I just got them this morning. So, uh, there's a at least one that's actually fairly technical in nature that I have off the top of my head. Absolutely no idea what the answer is. So, uh, thank you for the ambush, Simon, and just sending <laughs> these to me at the very, very last minute. I appreciate that. Um, but... Uh, One of them, we'll start with this one, right? From Billy Sanford Jr. Happy New Year, gentlemen, and potential guests. I think that's you, Matt. A quick question around your discussion on episode 43 about posting to social media. I don't post much. I'm not trying to sell my work and don't feel as though I am really taking pictures that are different than most. Feedback is welcome, but but I'm not posting to get it. In a recent thread in a different group... One member playing devil's advocate observed that film shooters were people who had found the most inconvenient, complicated, and environmentally impactful way to create digital images. Meaning, yes, they shoot film, right? But for the end product being a digital file, presumably for sharing. I commented that while I did digitize, my ultimate end goal is to get a good image that I can then print in the darkroom. My digitization and sharing was primarily because it seemed like a way to engage with a community built around the common interests that we all have. So I guess that is my question for you all to discuss. Photography is a thing that connects us. Some of us do post regularly, but it may be a phone snap of something photography ad- adjacent, which still does speak to our common interest. But to what degree, if any, do you feel like posting images is a part of our community engagement? A connection built around the one thing that we all do: cheers, Billy Sanford.
0: Well, that's—I think that's an excellent question. Uh, well, there's I a few, so. there's a, a few things in there, isn't there, really? Um, and certainly, at first, I was—I was—I was riling against uh, that the the, the initial uh, uh, point in there about you know about it's a, it's a. An environmentally unfriendly and difficult way to actually ultimately produce a digital limited show on social media um and i know um we've got andrew here is who's absolutely a printer um so it'll be interesting to see and um, hear andrew's thoughts but i'm i'm i can't claim to be a printer at all um yeah. I, i'm trying I'm, I'm trying to learn how to uh print my photographs um but that's only when i've got access to a darkroom which i haven't had access to a darkroom because of lockdown for some time um but even if i did um is is printing my photographs really why i do what i do and, it, and it, frankly it's not because i've never really been about printing photographs um except back in the day when uh it was pre-digitization and you know, you, you you've had photographs and you got uh, you you had them in your hand that was the whole idea of it but I don't I don't mount my photographs I don't display them in my house they hardly in fact there's only one photograph in my house that I have taken um and that's that's up on the wall and I didn't print it somebody else printed it for me and sent it to me um and uh, so what is my what is my output my output is digital Um, because it's ultimately it is to share within the community. Um, I don't feel like I have to share my photos in the community to be a valid member of the community. Um, I don't feel any need to do that at all, Um, and which is just as well, because I don't really take that many photographs. But then again, how many large format photographers take loads of photos? I mean, that's one of the reasons why a lot of us like large format photography. So... um, so ultimately i don't I haven't really got an answer to that, um, other than I just enjoyed the process and I, and I wouldn't enjoy that process by going out there with my very capable sony camera um, I, I, I enjoy using that in in certain ways, but the way I use my digital camera is just completely different from the way that I use my large format camera or the film cameras for that matter.
2: Well yeah, but the the question is really centered around the social media aspect and sharing, right? Like we all know that we enjoy a process, whatever that process is. It might be printing, it might be shooting, it might be making making things. I almost swore and gave you a bleep moment. It might be just making things or any combination thereof, right? But the question is really revolving around feeding the beast of social media and why do we do it? Um and and I think I mean, he has two points. One is the, the tongue-in-cheek, you know, environmentally unfriendly part of it. And we could go on that for, for ages, I think. Personally, digital cameras are, with the plastic and the rare metals and everything else, are in, an inability to really uh, be recycled in a friendly way. Most electronic recycling is actually just sent to
0: yeah, but the, the oh, landfill. Oh, oh, so it's, it's,
2: it's not, digital mm-hmm. is not an environmentally friendly. No, thing. no
0: it's not. But, the, but the, I was, right I was thinking about going down that route at first, and then I realized, hold on a second, this is about digitizing your film photographs. <laughs> right, so, therefore, right. you've still got to use a digital camera. <laughs> yeah, so.
2: Well, or upon, a scanner, but. Mm, um, yeah. You still know, a digital camera. <laughs> still still a digital camera in its own still, way, right? Yeah. Yeah. But ones that, you know, my, my scanner is like 15 freaking years old. It still does the job great. Whereas most people do not keep a digital camera for 15 years. Most people keep a digital camera for two, three. No, it's, right? a I I mean, it's not a real argument at all. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Um, but but more to the, like, that's, that's not even the, the, the discussion. I, I probably shouldn't have even taken the prison to the bait. But um, <laughs> I can't help it. I always rise to the bait. I'm so easy. But it's, it's the community aspect, I think, of, of it that's really... Um, important. And like that human connection is probably one of the only, only things um, like positive communities on social media are probably the only saving grace of social media. It's theoretically the reason social media was created in the first place. And it got hijacked by political forces, like all sorts of other marketing, all sorts of other crazy crap. But I think he's right i think the only saving grace of social media and digitizing images too for sharing is the communities like the large format community or the handmade cameras and and all that sort of thing andrew you had a thought
1: well yeah um i've sort of spoken about this before i guess but uh, going back 30 30 years at least the only community engagement that I had in this hobby, which has just been with me since I was sixteen, was the camera club down the road, you know, which was full of guys, old guys who are probably like me now, and I was, you know, twenty. <laughs> um and that that was the community. That was the only community I knew. And so um this uh, modern era that we live in now with facebook and twitter and instagram and all those things it, you know the, the i think it's a double-edged sword for me because as i've said before i still do feel i think this the trouble is in the programming and the algorithms that these companies use it's all very addictive it's meant to be addictive it's meant to it's meant to keep feeding you picking up your phone constantly and checking and and all that and, and you know one does get a certain bit of buzz when someone says something positive about your work well you know that's human nature Uh, but it is I have to try and remind myself as to why I do it and why I do it is to make prints it's not like what you know Simon says that's not been part of his work flow but I'm also thinking about the posterity and the long term and having a print and writing some stuff on the back about where it was and and handing it to my kids and stuff so that that comes into it and so, so that's why I'm doing it. But how do you then share it? In the past, it was just down the camera club, but that was all about competitions. And so now we have this wonderful opportunity, particularly through some of the better Facebook groups, to um, you know to engage on all sorts of levels. I mean, I'm in a wonderful photo group called Photography the- Photography Books and Theory, and that's just all about books. I know it feeds your gas habit, but not for cameras, but for books. You know, and you know I've taken part in some little. Projects where we have to um, choose a, a, an article from a book and then write about it and illustrate it with one of our photographs. And so, you know, there's some great opportunities to make you think out there in, in some of the groups and some of the discussions. And, you know, and, and I think being able to do things like blogs where you can put some thoughtful words down with a set of images is very helpful. And so I think that, uh, you know, that, all, all that side of digitization is, uh, is fantastic. Um, but uh, Billy, I mean, Billy's was playing devil, devil's advocate, wasn't he, when he was talking about, um, you know, a, an expensive and environmentally unfriendly way of creating digital images. But it is on the on the on the on the positive side. It's just a wonderful way to engage and feel uh, feel feel part of something. And I think we weren't meant we weren't meant to do this alone. A lot of people do do it alone. But I think most of us get something out of sharing what we're up to with others, you know.
2: What do you think Matt yeah I think
1: I
3: mean I think um social media has been a benefit to any um uh pastime that is um less common essentially right like if you wanna if you want workout buddies you know you're gonna find them at the gym um you know but, but if you want uh film photography buddies they may be few and far between in in you know real life essentially um so <clears throat> you know, having the ability to, uh, share with people who have the same interests as you, but are not in your area, uh, is, uh, is definitely a, a huge benefit to so many, you know, um, um, more f- fringe activities, let's say, right. Like I'm sure you can find a local, you know, digital photographers group, but if you show up with your film cameras, uh, they're going to be, you know, running around, uh, you know, going a mile a minute. Uh, and you're going to be, you know, t- 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 uh, trying to you know set up your shots, and they're you know they're just going to be ripping and and shooting away. Uh, like if if you know, I mean, photography is as popular as ever, um, but the but the people doing film are few and far between, uh, relatively uh, relatively speaking. So having the ability to you know connect. Uh, I mean, I'm sure back in the day there was some kind of you know it was probably like some kind of you know. Um, weird hobby telephone party lines, you know, and stuff like that, like prior to the internet. Uh, and now the internet exists, people can can do their own, um, uh, you know, make their own groups with people who are far away, like you guys are, you know, all far away from me. Um, prior to the internet, you know, none of none of us would ever have uh, have ever spoke or even known each other's names. So there's, there's a lot of value there, obviously. And, uh, I think it's about like, you know, why you're doing it, right? Like if you go to a restaurant and you take a photo of your food and you put it on the internet, like you're taking that photo 100% to show it off. But if you are sharing what you're doing, uh, on the internet, but you're doing that stuff anyway, you know, like, like if you, I think it's because it's a photo people can kind of maybe say that it's, uh, that you may not be doing it for yourself. But like if you you wouldn't make a, a stool out of wood just to take a photo, you know, put on the internet and then throw the stool in the fire, right? Like the stool, like the photo is a byproduct. And I think the problem is that a lot of people think that um um like that's obviously where the photo is a byproduct. But I think when people are looking at the uh photos on the internet, I think a lot of them assume that the photo is the product, right? So like if you're taking a photo of your dinner in a restaurant, the photo is the product of your like you're taking that photo and that's the product of the photo. But if you're just showing, you know, the thing you did, uh, that you wouldn't have shared if you didn't have the means, then, you know, that's certainly wrong with that. So I think it's just because there's kind of that overlap between sort of the fake sharing and real sharing, um, because it's photos in particular. And the whole bit about the environment stuff is, is bunk because all these cameras already existed, right? Right. The, The environmental, uh, Um, contribution to uh, a 50-year-old camera is already done. So, if you're going out and buying a new digital camera, that you are feeding the creation of more trash. Whereas, if you're using an old camera, uh, that you know the trash has already been made. You're just keeping it on the landfill, right? uh, A little bit longer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and they might be referring to the chemicals.
3: Yeah, the chemicals. The chemicals is one thing. I think. I think that's even. I mean, you think about the chemicals. You know, the the runoff from from you know. Uh, electronics production is, there's lots oh. of chemical waste there. Yep. And, um, you okay. know, you th- I mean, you throw, you throw a circuit board in the ground, it's going to leach things into the ground that uh, a piece of steel does not necessarily do. Right. Like things return to their constituents when you put them in the ground generally. right? Uh, and uh, the constituents of a digital camera are worse than the constituents of a, of a metal and glass and, uh, and very little plastic
1: Film camera I've, I've had to yep. i've had to restrain myself a few times in groups when they someone gets on their high horses <laughs> about chemicals you know because i mean i'm a darkroom printer and i uh, and f- up until fairly recently um, pretty much everything went down the sink and it always has done but i'm not you know i'm not producing loads and loads of chemicals and i never no, really thought actually. i never really thought too much about it and until i got shamed in a, in a group somewhere and so I do now keep my fixer off to one side. I've got no idea quite what I'm going to do with it, but the fixer is, uh, is still being kept and I'm going to need to move house eventually just to, to home it. Somebody said I can take it to the local waste recycling place, but I've no idea. Yeah, so yeah. everything else goes down, down the plug hole. And then if someone wants to come and bitch at me about that, I'll say, well, okay, let's just not go there because you can examine every aspect of your life and you'll be effing up the environment. You know, I I, I challenge you. You know, from, right, look right. at the clothes you're wearing. This thing here, I'm wearing this fleece. I bet you every time it gets washed, it's releasing micro um, plastics into the into the into the ocean. You know, and that goes for everybody else. You know, and, and what do you, how do you get around? Do you, do you have a car? You know, do you stick some household bleach down the bog? You know, when it's stained, or do you just happen to let it get stained? And and and, and that's kind of a, the way you, the way you, the way you rock. You know, do you not use any cleaners at all? Some people just use lemon juice. I got told off. Someone was uh, having a rant about caffanol. Someone was having a rant about caffanol and they said, "Oh, it's environmentally friendly," and someone says, "No, it isn't." You know, because you're. You're using, and you've got to use cheap coffee, and cheap coffee is coming from somewhere in Brazil, and they've they've cut oh, down all the la- all the rainforests, and and people aren't being paid properly. And I thought, shit, you know, what? Can, there's not there's not anything I can do, really. You know, I might as well just wear sackcloths and ashes. You know. Thanks, yeah. Billy, for that question. It was really nothing about that, was it? <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that 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 part
3: was designed to get people riled up.
2: Yeah, well, we we hit, we hit a spot. I think yeah, we hit. A, a, he, he hit. A, he hit a good spot. Um, and the, by the way, your your fixer, you can just take to your local, the, wherever. It I haven't is. tried I'm, it I'm, yet.
1: I haven't tried I haven't it yet. Really I don't. Cool. If I go to them and say, "We have this household recycling facility," you know, about half an hour away, okay. and to be honest, the guys in there don't strike me as the sharpest knives in the box, you know. <laughs> and if. And if I go and give them this container and say this is this is fixer, just,
2: just tell them it has a high metal silver, silver content. content.
1: Yeah, silver. Okay. Yeah, and that's
2: all you need I,
3: to do. I've heard if you put uh, there's something you can put in there. I want to say yeah, steel, steel wool. Steel wool. Yeah, steel yeah. Wool. yeah. yeah. Mm. precipitate the. I've silver. never tried it. I think I might try it. Sounds like a good project. Yeah, yeah. I've never it's tried nice. it. I mean, I mean, it's garbage anyway, right? So you, yeah, it's easy to try.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I'd always heard that there were some places that would try to extract the silver out and recycle the silver for money, but. I'd, right. Yeah, it's past me.
3: I mean, if you're running a, a, a factory darkroom back in the day, maybe it was probably was
1: valuable. That might have been valuable, mm-hmm. right? They did have yeah. silver recovery units then, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: For sure. <laughs> so,
2: all right. So, <laughs> next question. And this one, I, I have to admit, it's a novel. And I'm sort of tempted to read the novel because. It's somewhat entertaining, plus Tim. Hi, Tim. Um, Tim Holmes uh, even mentions how long it is, and it amuses me greatly. Ooh, so maybe, a maybe Goodness, yeah, what a maybe whopper. I will. And he sent a, there's a
1: link as well. I've got to press something to download. What's that he sent?
2: He sent us a, a very pretty photo.
1: Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so now that there's a, a preface, Dear Eric, dot, 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 hello, Simon and Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Tim. I listen with interest to your shows and enjoy your talks with people. I am based in Christchurch, New Zealand, making images on iPhone, five, four, six, nine, and a little thirty five millimeter. I have several projects on the go, and I but just haven't managed to get into my darker recently and should really stop exposing more film until I print what's in the negative file. Eric is a great character and his attitude and approach to work is refreshing and he's a great addition to the show. The Shane Balkowicz episode was incredibly inspiring and my favourite to date. The navel-gazing, I love that phrase, by the way. I love the phrase navel-gazing. The navel-gazing... I was was
0: just going to say, he's he's been really nice about us and now he's he's going to say, now I've done the nice stuff, I'm going to go in there now.
1: It's called a shit sandwich, okay? You know how I deliver (laughs) a shit sandwich, don't you? you? You get the you get the crap at the beginning then you butter them up in the middle and then you end on on the other way around. you nice at the beginning the shit in the middle and then nice at the end yeah. and then you which forget which is, you, you forget you've eaten a shit sandwich
2: which <laughs> sorry Tim sorry we'll get we'll, which, this 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 email is already a novel and we're going to make it like a novel with commentary the navel casing on your most recent show was thought provoking see and i find it incredible that andrew thinks your podcast isn't gear focused For me, every show, mainly colored by your initial chats, came across as so gear-focused, it's untrue. To some extent, I think you're hamstrung by the, quote, large format, unquote. And were you to talk about the why of your personal projects rather than the gear you're using to carry them out, then it wouldn't be sound gear-focused. Imagine the large oil paint brush podcast and listen to any of your podcasts, imagining a bunch of painters talking about their brushes, canvas, and paint. Would they own the fact that you're creative photographers, you all do some great work, but evidently some of you like what some of you like doing is for the sake of the gear and the process as a means of honing your style or experimenting of what pleases you. And that's good and of interest. I don't think you need to be scared of talking about gear as it can help folk get into it. If you don't get too technical, but if you don't want to seem be seen by potential guests as navel-gazing gearheads, talking to other comfortably off-white males with gear habits, then a slight reorientation might be useful. I'd love to hear more about the stories and trials you're having printing your US road trip series. You don't have to show the images, but folk will have been on your production journey and enjoyed it even more without the image. For a guest, I would love to hear more from Simon Norfolk. Look at his Burke plus Norfolk project. He'll give you a damn good critique of the show, too, I'm sure. He gave <laughs> me a copy of his Burke Plus Norfolk book for loading him a bike while he stayed in Guernsey for the Guernsey Photogra- Photography Festival in 2011. Or Jean-Christophe Godet. Godet? G-O-D-E-T? Yeah. The, the f- okay, okay. Godet? Godet. A, friend, a good friend of mine and director of the Guernsey Photography Festival. Last time I saw him, 2019, he was talking about using large format to do a project in the town he grew up in to tell a very interesting story. Ultimately, photography isn't about the format, though, so that will always be something of a struggle for your podcast title. Ansel Adams has an interesting tale towards the end of his autobiography of being approached by a gearhead asking questions while he was changing his 35mm film. All the best with your work in the show. I'm slowly getting back and listening to the whole set. I enjoy it all, but most of this story is about the work and the journeys, too. The work and journeys, to its production. And not so much the gear talk, unless it's about the production work Like Eric's chat about the plantation workers and why of a lens. All the best, Tim. P.S. I trust you won't read out the whole bloody email, as I'd feel (laughs) a right right twonk. (laughs) And that alone, Tim, made me want to read out the whole email because you actually put that P.S. and uh, the the term twonk made me laugh. So.
1: Well, the email isn't Don't, finished, is it? No. no,
2: it's not. It, it's not. It keeps going. I just had to stop at the tonk. Attached is the last image I made that I'm happy with creatively. Carried out as a part of a light painting series in collaboration with abstract painter Mark Hammond in 2001. I sold my camera shortly after the onset of Children. Yeah, tell me about it. I started making photos on 6x9 folders again in 2011 and have enjoyed Instagram since then as a way of honing my skills with a camera phone as Tim Holmes. Tim underscore, underscore, homes. That's his Instagram handle. I bought myself another 5.4 kit last year and I'm re-remembering my skill set. Lockdown in March 2020 brought realization that I've never embraced the digital to the point of not having any film-based images scanned. So I bought an old V700 just after and began the task. My middle son started making me a website, but summer arrived here and focus turned to outdoor pursuits. The first project I'm about to print from images made in 2013 to 2020 on six line folders is of the broken city of Christchurch and it's rebuild. Oh, cool. There's a series of earthquakes here in 2010, 2011. And I am, and I arrived in 2013 to join an architectural practice. The work was inspired by Peronisi's, de I'm totally killing that, by the way. Or Imagery Prisons series of etchings, one of which is in the local art gallery. I'll share my images once produced with the Facebook group. And he's got a really, oh, it's a really, really pretty photograph of like a sunset, lots of deep purples and blues. And um, it looks like light streaks from probably somebody wandering around on the rocks with a headlamp. Um, but it's a gorgeous photo.
0: So, Tim, we have a lot to digest from Tim. Um, well, I think I think it's it's a it's a nicely self-contained uh, um, email there, really. Um, I mean, my my takeaway is to stop talking about what we talk about on the podcast and just do it. Um, that's uh, that's that's one thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, you can't. We it's impossible to get away from gear with the with the name of the called the large format photography podcast you know because that, that, that frames the whole show um but the other side of it is you know we are trying to make an effort and we've done it in the past with with uh, some photographers um to talk about their experiences and journeys and uh, certainly we absolutely got that last week um and uh, we we want to do more of those things so um i think yeah, the the naval gazing was just uh, we sort of just wanted to bare our soul a little bit, um, and um, just to give people an in, in, an idea what what we think about when we construct the the, the show.
2: Well, and um, I think to a certain extent, everybody here, and I include Matt uh, in this everybody sort of phrase, like we. We all shoot, but we all also have a bit of a focus on making things, right? Um, you know, Simon's 3D printing. I, for whatever reason, make lenses and people seem to like them in a small. I don't know why. Andrew does a lot of printing and enjoys his darkroom time. Matt, you make, of all things, you make camera meters, external camera meters, um, which goes a bit beyond me cobbling together a lens out of wood and like a bit of glass. Um, And probably even a bit past Simon's 3D printing, because you actually have to do like serious electronics and miniaturization of electronics to do that, which we'll we'll get to because I'm hella curious. Um, But we all enjoy producing things that aren't photographs. And so we sort of can't help but dive down those rabbit holes sometimes because it's part of like... I, produce, photog- I produce
1: photographs in the darkroom. What do you think I'm doing in there? <laughs>
2: well, you know what I mean. Like you, it's not just about shooting. Like you're you're in there making things with your hands in a dark room.
1: right? I think um, I I've, maybe I've just got a selective memory. I think back to all you know, all forty odd shows, and that, that that I don't think there've been that many when we've just when we've just spoken about. Focused about gear. Personally, I've always tried to get the conversation down the what's behind the image route. You know, um, mm. many of the guests—well, not many—some of the guests don't even aren't even aware what lens they used. You know, um, you know. I was thinking that was Alice uh, Tomlinson. Tomlinson, for example. You know that that show uh, stands out. I suppose as if you wanted to point a prospective guest. To a show which really wasn't gear focused, that one stands out. But there was a lot more, you know, some of the early shows when we had Steve Segersby on, that was that was very much about ideas. Um than gear well. Greg Oaks, yeah. yeah. Um so it depends, I suppose, which shows you've jumped in at and listened to. But you know, we have we have a we have a mixed a curate's egg of an audience, if that's the right expression, you know, a mixed bag. And it's good. I think the way we're going to try and do it is have more arty shows and then sandwich them with more sort of geary type shows. You know, go back to that model, which is fine. You know, we 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 aim to please. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with the uh, the large
3: format in the title because it invokes the um, you know anybody who's ever shot large format understands that there's the this. Uh, very you know it's much more elaborate um you know procedure than a lot of other uh probably any of the other you know ways to shoot images period um so i don't see any reason why that can't um you know like it doesn't have to that's not necessarily about gear it's just it's it's invoking a process right like that Mm -hmm. large format is a process yeah Uh, there's equipment involved just like there's equipment involved in in you know any image taking um endeavor but that uh, you're you're invoking the, the or you're you're telling the listener you know we're talking about the large format process, and it's the mating of the of the artist intent, the gear that you use to do it, and the process that you, you know inter- interact with the gear in order to to fulfill your artistic vision, um, but that's. I don't think it really has anything to do with the the gear per se. Um, Not in, I mean, you don't have to get technical about, you know, spherical aberrations or whatever, if you don't want to, you know, you can keep it, you can keep it, you can keep it to film holders and lenses, you know, and, 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 you know, like, it's like, you could talk about painting by talking about, you know, a big brush, small brush. You don't have to talk about what kind of horse hair it's made out of or whatever. Although painting nerds really get into that. For sure. That's my point. (laughs) I mean, you can drill, I mean, we all know there's two things you when you learn about anything. There's two things you learn. There's there's uh, infinite depth of uh, technical detail you can get into, and there's infinite money you can spend on something,
2: right? Right. Yeah. Uh,
3: like I'm sure I'm sure you could buy a five thousand dollar professional hula hoop if you wanted to, right? Like you can you can chase any any uh, uh, interest to the <laughs> to bankruptcy, uh, but um, but I think I think I think maybe this guy. Uh, the 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 writer is maybe throwing out the baby with the bathwater there that he because you said large format you are you are you are invoking a certain set of things but you're I don't think you're pigeonholing yourself on uh, on gear only in that but I think you all you know we all have a, a a keen interest in gear that I mean for large format you need a keen interest in gear right like you could have an iPhone and take pictures with it and not care in the slightest how the iPhone is doing anything um, because the bar to entry to get a picture is so small, but the bar to entry with large format is high, right? Like, right. You got to know what you're doing. You're going to screw up. I mean, even people who know what they're doing still screw up all the time. I'm constantly yeah. leaving my, my lens aperture open and uh, pulling on my dark slide and then realizing that I've still got the, the freaking lens open. Um, <laughs> Dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, so me- the methodical process part, it's a huge part of large format and it, it's just part of it's part of doing a complex thing, right? Like you think you could land a plane, uh, with some nonchalant attitude about, you know, whether or not landing gear are needed and things like that. Like it's, it, there's critical, there's critical components in large format photography. So I'd give it a try. You you're going to get on the ground by the way. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, that's a bad example, but, uh, but I, you know, I think I think you can't throw out the, the the gear aspect. But I don't think you're stuck in gear either. I think you guys could talk about large format all day without ever getting into the nitty gritty of anything gear wise. That's my opinion as an outsider, right. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well,
0: well, uh, yeah. I was going to say. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah let's uh, let's 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 move on. So, thank thank you for that, Tim. Um, so, uh, <laughs> should we should we do another yeah. another email? Yeah.
2: And- and and Tim, don't feel the right twonk. It was a really, it was a <laughs> seriously, dude. Don't don't feel the right twonk. I, I loved the, the entire email. There's a lot of interesting things in here. Uh, possible guests, artists who are doing cool stuff. Your own work, uh, which sounds
1: really cool. And um, yeah, man, thanks for writing in. Can I can I just make seriously. a plea though for Kofi donations to be proportion, directly proportional to the length of the email. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to work on that one, you know, Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) um, and actually this, we'll we'll do the the, the technical one that I think, um, or I'm hoping that Matt can can help us with, um, which actually will also, I think, allow us to ask you about your current project as well, because not many people do what you're, nobody actually is doing what you're doing. So now that I've done the teaser, let's talk about the email. Um, From Michael Wellman. Matt, who's Matt? Okay, Matt, hope you're doing well. Last year you made a nice video on image circle. I have a basic understanding of the principles, aperture, focus, distance, effect circle. Where I am having some difficulty is understanding the difference between a lens stated image circle and what people are saying they're able to use a specific lens on a format. Case in point, the Nikon M 450 mm lens, Nikon and all the references that I can find give the image circle of 440. However, there are photographers out there saying this is a great lens for 14 by 17 and 12 by 20 format, which has an image circle of 560 and 583 respectively. How can this lens cover those formats, which clearly have an image circle much greater than the stated in the reference guide? On another note, I wanted to make you aware that there is a new photo group on Facebook, ultra large format photography. You should check it out. I just got my 14 by 17 from Richard Ritter. I love this format. This may become my favorite camera. To my order comes from Ilford. I'm shooting X-ray film. Great way for me to run through the paces on this new format for me. You are right when you say this film scratches easily. Truth. Just look at it the wrong way, and it scratches. Thanks for all that you do. Hope you have a happy and safe Christmas. And this, 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 this camera is gigantic. I photo I, I sent think, a photo uh, of the camera that's
1: huge. I thought, he, I thought Matt uh, Michael was being prescient and actually addressing his email to our guest today. Yeah, but then I looked yeah. at the date, which was 4th sure. of December. So I guess he just thought we had um, uh, Matt Marash on the show was, or something. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, it was him who did the... I guess Matt Marash would have done this. In fact, he did a great... Uh, he did, he did. I was watching his YouTube video just the other day on Image Circle. So I think um, he was thinking of Matt's video when he wrote the email and addressed it to Matt. Who actually isn't one of our hosts?
2: Yeah, that, that gave me pause. I was like, <laughs>
0: "Which video was that oh. that we
1: made?" <laughs> so you Perfect. can, for folks listening, if you go to Matt Marashia's excellent YouTube feed, which is Large Format Friday, and go back uh, a month or two, there is one on Image Circle, and I watched it just the other day because Neil Piper had popped up in the thread and was asking about why he, he'd he'd use this. Um, uh, I'm. He'd used this lens that he'd cobbled off a Kodak camera or something, and he'd used it successfully on a four x five image, and then he went and used it again, and he got vignetting, and he was asking why that why that was, um, which kind of, I, I guess, could come into this. Uh, into this but, has- Matt, Matt, but if really yeah. I could just sh- point everybody to Matt's video, you know, and it's an exceptional, exceptionally well explained concept. But anyway, we'll we'll give it a bash. Well, Matt will. Yeah,
2: Matt. Seems it it seems
1: it's addressed to you, Matt. Yeah, there's a a Matt here. So,
3: well, I don't know. I I don't know as much about uh, about it as Matt Mirage does, but I have a I have a guess. But the question was about why the stated image circle may be smaller than the uh, sort of experimentally proven image circle. And the yep. embedding in particular as well.
2: Yeah. Why the image circle of four, a lens with a, a stated image circle of 440 is being touted as one that can cover um, formats with it that require an image circle of much larger. Like 440 covering yeah. a 560 or 583.
3: I, I have I have an idea. As you were reading it, I formulated an idea. I know that uh, um, I, I like Schneider lenses for some reason. And um They, uh, they used to have all their web, uh, their data on the website, which was nice. Um, and now they've removed it, which is unfortunate, but they would state the image circle at a certain aperture. Aperture, yeah, And so so what I, uh, what I think is going on is that when you've got it wide open, um, you've got light coming in, um, at a wider angle and it's passing through the center of the lens with more sort of variance to how close to the axis of the lens it is. And so when the, if you, if you take a lens and you look at it, um, with the aperture wide open and you, and you, you're looking through your lens uh, and you tilt the the lens board so that you're looking at it through an angle. What ends up happening is you will see, you know, the, the center, the circle at the center will turn oval and then eventually it will um, it'll be obscured by the, by a portion of the rear element. Right. Right. And when you, and so that essentially is like a hard, obviously a hard cutoff where, you know, the, 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 the um, the lens, the rear lens uh, element, you know, holder essentially is is blocking the light, so you're definitely not going to get any image outside that zone. <clears throat> but you'll notice that that circle is getting smaller, so you're going to get you know vignetting to some extent. Uh, but I think what happens is when your aperture is stop down, um, you're no longer getting light from that um, from the, the 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 edges of the the opening. You're getting only light from the center, so maybe you get more uh, that would sound like it would make less light. Now I'm confused. I've confused myself. But some okay, I don't I, I don't perfectly understand the optical reasons for it, but but the image circle, I think you're do your vignetting, you'll get more vignetting with a smaller aperture, but you're getting a wider image circle. And that's because the, the cutoff is sort of it's less cut off, but it's um but the fade out is more gradual. Uh, the way that the, so you get a you get a, a smaller image circle with hard vignette with a large aperture and you get a bigger image circle with more vignetting with a smaller aperture. I think that I makes just,
2: sense. I just looked it up. Aperture? Well what you're just what you're talking about, not the not his particular question. Okay. Aperture vignetting. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think you might be right. Is connecting aperture vignetting is connected to the optics F divided by pound. A lens the higher aperture but at the higher F, narrow aperture, will receive the same light in most directions, while the lens of the lower F will not receive the same amount of light at wide angles, since light will partially blocked by the edges of the physical aperture.
1: Yeah, so image circle is related to area of coverage, right? Now, I know this. I'm not remembering all this stuff because I did happen to bring the book with me using the view camera, okay. which has got this lovely picture uh-huh. inside there, you see? Mm-hmm. so it does say that because uh, it, it explains things far better than I could the size of the image circle depends on the angle of coverage, So that's the line, if you draw two imaginary lines from the light passing through the middle of the lens uh, to the opposite size of the image circle, that's the angle of coverage and that's going to be affected by the actual aperture in, you know, in your camera, in your, in your shutter so if the aperture closes down then that angle of coverage is being restricted somewhat, so the angle of so I think the um, image circle will be smaller. But, of course, it's, um, it, the book goes on to make some more general points. Uh, the angle of coverage is determined by the design of the lens. Lenses that are shorter than normal for a given format are designed to have a wider angle of coverage because the shorter lens requires less distance to project the image circle. So they need to, shorter lenses need to be closer to the film plane. And when you physically move the lens closer, the image circle is smaller as well so the lens design has to somehow make that image circle bigger which is why they're more expensive whereas you can get away with a telephoto lens or a longer lens which can be further away and so you have a naturally bigger image circle i'm not sure if any of this is answering his question by the way right that would be yeah. another thing that would confuse somebody too is that uh if they were shooting
3: like we're talking about you know essentially um image circle at infinity yeah right but if you yeah. are if you're focusing close, like if you were using a uh, large format to do, you know, pseudo uh, macro kind of work, then your your lens is far further forward and yep. that would make the image circle bigger. So it's possible yeah, yeah. that you could, um, you know, take some close up photo and think you've got a huge image circle uh, or or considerably less vignetting, let's say. And then you go and shoot something at infinity and you've got a bunch of vignetting with the same lens and you're confused why there was a difference uh, yeah, but you're forgetting about how far the lens had to be from the film in order to focus up close like that. So that would have impacted right. too. Yeah.
2: Well, and mm-hmm. for you know a 450 millimeter lens, I'm just checking the the lens length like equivalence. It's a mid length on an eight by ten. It's the equivalent of a 63 millimeter for full frame or 35. I can't help it because that's where mm-hmm. I came from. I just have to go back to 35 so millimeter lens. Something wrong with
3: rounding it somewhere, right? You got to yeah. ground the scale somewhere.
2: So, for those larger formats, it that gets to be a, a progressively wider and wider angle lens, pretty much. Um, which means it'll be shorter, like back, essentially, relatively speaking, to the format further and further, which means it'll project wider, right? So, it's, it's, if it's designed to make that, it'll probably, I can't imagine it wouldn't have some level of vignetting on the larger formats. When it's stopped down, or have absolutely zero movements, so like there's some lenses from, you know, like the the, the six by nines or even nine by twelves that'll cover four by five. But the second you do any sort of movement on the front, it's like great big circle on the on the sides. You know, great big vignettes, or just it just gets right. cut off.
3: And very hard cut off too.
2: Yeah, less uh,
3: less sort of penumbra kind of thing.
2: Yep, it's I have run into that stop. a million times. And I just haven't noticed it because I'm just too busy like shooting, and I just don't notice. I've got a like a half moon, you know, across <laughs> across the left side. I'm like, ah, oh, shit.
1: After I develop, of course. Okay, I'm confused now. So, I've, sorry, while you were talking, I've just read read a bit more. It says <laughs> image circle measurements are generally taken at an aperture of f22. That's what it says in the book. But I know, oh. but I think that must vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. Okay. So then he says at wider apertures, so that means he's referring to the hole getting bigger isn't he there i think that's what he mean by <clears> wider apertures the image circle is slightly smaller and at smaller apertures the image circle is slightly larger so f22 is suggesting here that's um, image uh, circle is taken so uh, if you open up the lens the actual image circle is slightly smaller i don't i can't get my head around that, I have to say, someone clever might be able to, but not me. Well, and just, at smaller apertures, the I'm image just, circle just, is slightly larger. Yeah, Sorry, I, Simon. I've got
0: a, I, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to attempt to um, <laughs> explain all of that. And, uh, and, and I think with all of this, we can see why Michael actually addresses to Matt Marash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, yes. um, but, Send email to him. <laughs> yeah. But, a, um, but a, a, on, a, on a practical note, um, when, when you would like, look at 35mm you know, lenses... And uh, you do see lens tests of things, um, and you'll you'll see vignetting tests, and the vignetting tests are all the vignetting is always worse or light fall off in the corners. Another way of uh, of calling it, um, and the light fall off is always worse at the widest aperture, and the okay. and the lens gets brighter in the corners as the lenses get stopped down. So that 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 goes again with what um, you've just read out in, in, in the right. book there. But the actual optical process for why that's occurring, we need somebody like Jason Lane or Matt Marash. Uh, I was to,
2: just going to say yeah. Jason's going to sound off on this on a, yeah, in exactly. the group 100%. Exactly. Or he's going to message me on Instagram.
1: He's going to be like, if you, If you take F22 as being the nominal F stop at which image circle measurements are generally made according to um, Steve Simmons using the view camera book, then he says, a wider aperture. So, if you go to, you know, f sixteen or f eleven, the image circle is slightly smaller. Um, but even though you are making the hole bigger, yeah, and at smaller apertures, the image is slightly larger. Even though you are making the hole smaller, uh, and I, I just can't get my head around it. But hey, you the 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 rays are
3: passing through the aperture, um, and that the the smaller aperture is more is more discriminating. Right, it tightens the light up because all the same number of photons are coming in the front. Mm -hmm. Some of those photons are dying on that on the aperture face, and some of them are getting through that hole. Right, and so um, the ones that are getting through the hole are more naturally aligned with, um, I guess, the the desired uh, ray angle, which is why the uh, depth of field. Uh, grows. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about a pinhole, right? Like a pinhole is the logical conclusion of an aperture, I guess, right? Where you don't even need a lens to do any light ray sort of correcting because basically the only photons that get to the film are the ones that are so perfectly aligned. They go firing right through that tiny hole and they get to exactly the right opposite spot on the opposite side of the the film. And, uh, and all the light that's just doing, you know, silly, Going every every which way from the subject when and there's you know like there's a trillion vectors of light coming at that pinhole, but only the ones that are lined up nicely get to the film in the right spot, and all the other ones die on the on the face of the pinhole. Right. Um, so the aperture, I think, is doing the same kind of thing. So that's why
2: the depth of field increases. So because. if I if I can ask, um, how does that same sort of thing play into um, because you make you I don't know if it's a side hustle or a full time thing now, but you make light meters, which is mind blowing. So how does that same yeah. like the way the light comes in? It's like, you essentially think of uh, like you're making a spot meter now or you're working on making a spot meter, which okay. is essentially its own miniaturized camera. Right? So how yeah, are you? One, it's a one with pixel camera. It? It's, a, what? <laughs> it's a, a, a one pixel, pixel camera. Well, I and mean, it doesn't
3: save the image either, but uh, it's yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's just sort of the same thing. Like you're taking light in and you're you're measuring it um, but how does, how does a spot meter like work in that way? Cause it's like, like you said, it's like a camera, but it isn't. And hello, cat. Um, sorry, Matt just picked up a cat and I right. just had a visitor trying from,
3: from stomping on the keyboard. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, so, uh, so my, my previous meter, I, the first product I built was a, uh, was a reflective meter, uh, okay. uh wi- a wider angle meter. So it's 45 degree cone. Um, so there's, um, there's sort of a rough, um, rejecting, um, shroud around it, which blocks, you know, the majority of the angles really, uh, to focus on a 45 degree, um, cone out the front of the meter. Um, so essentially light rays that are aligned or that are coming from a source uh, or bouncing off something within that 45 degree cone will reach the sensor. The rest of them hit the side of the meter, they hit the baffles that are inside the, the um the meter opening because the meter is essentially at the the sensor is essentially at the bottom of a of a small tube right as a, as a shroud you can think of it as a, just a tube and so the longer the tube is the more restrictive it will be so you're getting less photons but you're getting photons that are coming from a more specific place right right um, <clears throat> so that's in, in in a in a in a uh it's effectively like a very a very large pinhole. It's not a it's not a it's not a, a good pinhole. It's a, a a very bad pinhole, essentially. But there's no there's no optics. Then in, in the spot meter, there is a lens. So there is a lens that's actually so essentially there's a there's there's a shroud to reject totally stray light. Um, you know, light coming from the sun above. I don't want that, you know, getting I don't want that hitting the lens creating a, a flare or whatever, right? It's the same reason you use a lens hood. Um and so the light will come uh, so the light is coming in, a lot of it is restricted already. It reaches a lens, which then is taking the light that's actually reaching that lens and focusing it down onto the sensor itself, which is essentially a single pixel camera, mm-hmm. a digital uh, camera that doesn't save a picture. <laughs> uh, and so the light is getting concentrated down there. Um, and, uh, and that lens actually so some you know so there's only a, a small portion of light sensitive material. You know, way down at the bottom of this uh, optical tunnel, right? And you can right. make a spot meter just by putting a sensor at the end of a, a lengthy tube, and wherever you aim that tube, it's like looking through a, a paper towel tube or a uh, or a good example maybe like you know gift wrap uh, cardboard tube. Right. You put that right up to your eye, you can only see. You know, I don't. And that's probably like a one degree spot. It's a very small little space at the end of that tube, right? And wherever you're looking, all the light. That you see is only what is coming is is only the rays that are aligned to enter that tube naturally, right? Doing it with a lens lets you not have to have a tube that's three feet long, right? It you it lets you shrink the system down, right? Um, uh, and it lets you keep more of the photons too, probably because uh, you're not bound, you're not losing as much off the walls and stuff, right?
2: So how did you like you know we we run into people and like you as well, like you like we all eventually. I think, well, I shouldn't say we all. That's a generalization. A lot of people end up making cameras or mm-hmm. modifying lenses or, or doing things like that. But I, I, in my twenty-some odd years of photography, you are the only person I've ever heard of and now met who's making <laughs> meters. You know, I think most of us. Just we end up buying used meters, like you know, Minoto right. 4Fs or old Gossen Pros, and we scavenge for these older pieces of equipment because nobody is producing. I don't think. Well, producing? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, you can buy tens of meters. Uh, I mean, you can spend.
3: Well, so so spot meters. My recent foray into spot meters has been um, because there is a lack in the market of spot meters. Um, right. You know, you can buy your your 50 year old uh, Pentax spot meter V. Uh, you can buy, you can buy a brand new Sekonic, um, um 758, 758, yeah. uh, but I think that they start at 600 U S correct. H. Uh, Gosson has one that's I think 500 U S. Um, mm-hmm. so you are, I mean that, you know, and that's like a one-stop shop meter too, you know, it's incident reflective and spot. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a good piece of kit, uh, but it is very expensive. Uh, you know, like a Mercedes Benz might be a nice car, but that doesn't mean you have 80 grand to spend. Right. Right. Um, So, um, so I felt like there was an opportunity to produce a spot meter that was going to be, that I could produce, uh, you know, that was cheaper. Um, And, one of the ways that I was going to reduce the price was to actually eliminate a pass-through viewfinder on the, the meter itself. So the meter that I designed is very small because it doesn't contain uh, any um, viewfinder optics at all. Uh, it, uses, um, it uses a, a sort of a alternative method of, of, of aiming, which is you use both of your eyes at the same time. Um, Voigtlander actually made um, accessory viewfinders. The Vo- it's called the Voigtlander Contour. Yeah. K-O-N-T-U-R. I think Simon knows about those uh, because he was (laughs) filling in the gap there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Uh, you've. you've yeah, as I was. I was mouthing it, and uh, you were. You were saying yeah. it because it was something that we were chatted about on the the large, not large on the classic lenses podcast um, right. a f- couple of months ago, where my two co hosts are generally obsessed uh, by rangefinders and uh, viewfinders that go on them, and they'll just talk forever about them, and I just happened to buy this. <laughs> um, this thing uh because i yeah. I, I reckon that i saw a box and it said voigtlander on it and it had some stuff there and it was cheap and i thought i'm gonna get this
1: um and uh, and i got it and i didn't really understand what i actually had um but you is it simon is it to do with rangefinder photography where you're supposed to keep both eyes open so you become sort of part that, of the that's part of, that's this, it's, part of the it's, scene
0: it's, that's exactly it's, it and and you, right. so you would look be through this edge. yeah so you would look through this 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 viewfinder that, that is opaque Um, and uh, but you will actually see like a a bright line on there and Mm -hmm. um, and as you would look it would you would keep both eyes open and you would see the the inside of the viewfinder and you'll see a bright line frame it's about well actually you you said several bright line frames i think with different uh, 35 mils or 50 (coughs) mils or, or or whatever and you would just like you would turn your head and where you turn your head it also frames the the view that you get and that's why th- this is particularly interesting when, when matt first uh, uh I, well when, when we first started chatting about this because i understood the principle of it and i knew that it worked in terms of framing a whole whole picture but i was I thinking can this really frame a one or two or three degree image and that was something that it, it, it quite shocked me and, I, and and I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but I'll finish off when I'm coming there. Um, earlier on, i have got i have got a um, um, I, I, I've got a, a 3D printed lens cap that didn't quite work, and there's a there's a hole in the middle of it, and I can hold my eye, uh, hold this this thing to my eye, and see through it, and it gives me a, almost like a pinhole view, um, which is going to be yep. not entirely dissimilar to the 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 angle of view you get. Um, that you would need for for the spot meter and this 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 spot meter to work, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to give this a go, and and just like, and it's a case of yes, if you hold your head still and you look in a different direction, no, it's not going to work because you're not looking in the right place. But if you, but once you're actually looking through it and you're focused on what it is you're looking, and then you decide, well, I'm going to look at this something else that's ten degrees in a different direction, well, you move your head. And if you move your head and your eye your eye looks through the hole and it's looking at the same point and it's absolutely seen exactly that tiny little point that you would need it to look at to make for this the spot meter to work so i was I was knocked out by it
3: there's a there's a trick there that the contour doesn't use the contour um, it's a frame line um, but i mean they're, they're essentially wide angle finders anyway or, or sort of normal normal focal length finders you're looking around uh inside that that frame but there's no the key the key with the with the spot meter is that there's a center point that you fixate on so your the eye that's looking into the meter is fixating on that target point and that makes your other eye also look in the right spot if you look around moving your eyeballs around uh, yeah, you you know, your eyeball is not looking at the spot anymore, but it's not looking at the aiming tool either. Right. Yeah. So you fixate on the one thing and that makes your eyes kind of, um, do what they need to do so that you're looking in the, in the right spot and you're seeing in your, in, when your brain is making that superimposed image from the one eye looking in the meter and the other eye looking at the scene, the two of them, um, align properly because you are looking at the right spot inside the meter
0: and of course you you'd be able to i mean i've i've not used one of the these spot meters but it'll be very easy to actually check to see if it's working because as you turn around and you might want to look at a, something with a point of light and you, yeah. so you can look at that point of light using the correct method and you'll see that the spot meter reading will change because you you've now got yourself on that 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 tiny spot of light yeah
3: if you're looking at a at a or you're looking at a particularly bright spot um mm-hmm. you'll be able to pick out you know the highest reading and you know you'll actually be able to see where you're aiming at versus where you're finding the highest reading yeah. point. Yeah. Um, there is so there is so one thing that does happen with this technique is there is parallax error um, between your two eyes. Uh, it's it's minimal. Um, it's essentially negligible beyond about ten feet. Uh, but what ends up happening is um, your uh, uh, the brightest point will start to skew in the direction of your. Um, of the eye that you're not looking through the meter with so so there's a there's a small parallax error uh at close range you can still use it to to um you know which direction it's going to go because it's going in the direction of your of your uh, unobscured eye um and you can still you
1: can still sort of you know hunt hunt
3: for a bright spot or something like that if you're looking for highlights
1: um have you you tested this out with people with eyes at different lengths apart from each other (laughs) yeah yeah so well but eyes are working. extremely close together, you know shifty people yes it's, <laughs> does it work better uh, or worse uh, technically it works it works
3: worse technically uh mm-hmm. that the error will grow if you had eyes that were three feet apart, it would be pretty bad um, <laughs> but um but it, but at a one with a one degree spot, it ends up being um the error is negligible like the error is um Half a degree at ten feet, or something like that. So it yeah, becomes cool. it becomes less important uh, yeah. the well, further away.
2: I mean, realistically, at ten feet, you're so close you can just sort you're of walk gonna up and meter, right, I'm not going to use yeah. a
1: spot meter at ten feet, really. Exactly. Well, you know. No. Yeah. I mean,
2: I might just because if I have it, I'm gonna. I just tend to fumble with whatever I have in my pocket, but mm-hmm. I guess it still brings me back to the original question of like, so you saw that there's a market. Mm, is this is something that you 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 saw it was a market need or just something you're like, ah, I've always wanted to make a light meter, you know, like well,
3: it was both. I mean, I, I have, I have the big honker uh, spot meter. I have a Pentax spot meter V. Um, I think it weighs like a pound. Like it's, it's very, it's very large. I hate wearing it around my neck cause it's, uh, I'm liable to beat myself to death with it by accident. And, uh, and it's kind of gun like, which even, even in Canada, I don't, really feel too great about like holding up something to my face and that it has a pistol grip. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just sensitive yes. it, I guess. Um,
2: <laughs> Try people, being in America where there actually are right. a lot of fibers.
3: people have had the, people have had the cops called for, for less. Um, so, so I, so, you know, weight, size and, uh, and versatility were th- kind of like uh, several factors that made me th- uh, want something different. Uh, and better and then i also saw that the prices for these old meters are are a little bit crazy um, particularly things like the pentax digital spot meter the later yeah. version of this analog one was uh are, are going for you know three to four hundred dollars i think that's canadian uh on on ebay um which is insane for a piece of electronics from the 80s like who knows i think it died tomorrow you know you uh you have yeah. no um there's no guarantee of of future reliability there that you're going to get your $400 worth of use out of that thing. Um, So, you know, so the new options were very expensive. The old options are too expensive uh, for a lot of people to justify. And uh, so I thought, you know, other people probably want this like that, that used market price is evidence that there is a demand for this kind of product um and i so i had just finished building my my uh my previous product which was uh, pretty successful was this uh, was this uh uh um shoe it's a shoe mounted accessory shoe mounted uh meter it's very very small i think i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's extremely small digital light meter i
0: was gonna i was gonna uh, say uh, matt i i think yeah. that we really um, we've 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 gone a long time without actually properly introducing you <laughs> and, and, and this, yes. Who are you? Yes. And, uh, because clearly you know what you're talking about. Um, you've demonstrated that quite, quite, quite ably, um, and um, and and you've got you know you do have some very specific knowledge about uh, on the electronics and uh, light gathering. you have been using the word photons, and uh, <laughs> but uh, but also uh, you've you know, you're a, a large format photographer. You build your own large format uh, cameras and, and things like that. But you're actually um, the man behind uh, Raveni Labs, uh, which we've not we've not used those words. Uh, I'm not sure if I have even pronounced that correctly, but uh, no, nope, that, that was perfect. Oh, that's good, that's good. And um, and I'm just thinking about calling uh, David Derrick uh, earlier at the start of the show. I'm, uh, um, I'm not going to live that one down. Um, a bit, uh, yeah. Raveni Labs, if um, that might actually. Uh, um, some people uh, might be thinking, "I've heard of that somewhere," and uh, and that was uh, the name of your company and um, and your first product uh, that you kickstarted right. s- and, and successfully kickstarted. Uh, but did you, was that completely all last year, or did it go back into 2019? That was the Kickstarter
3: started um, the end of February uh, 2020. Right. And uh, and finished in in uh, the end of March, and that raised uh 124 thousand dollars Canadian, um, which was about 770 percent funded uh, to produce. Yeah, what I was calling the Rovena Labs light meter, which is a um, it's a shoe mounted digital light meter that's uh, it's very very small. I wanted to the the original impetus was to make a light meter that you could mount on your camera. So it's particularly for things like you know 35 millimeter rangefinders. Um where um your uh, either it had no light meter because it's sort of a budget a budget uh camera or it has a selenium light meter that in the intervening 50 years has you know gone dead or whatever um those meters um they don't live forever um the the selenium cells go go extinct over time um and so they're uh, you know, it felt like there was, uh, uh, some, uh, I mean, it was something I wanted to, I have so many cameras that have that don't have meters or have dead meters. Right. Um, and, uh, so something I wanted and it, I thought it would be something other people wanted too, And so I set myself the goal to try to design a meter that fit within the footprint of the standard ISO, uh, flash shoe, um, which is, you know, so, so ubiquitous on so many cameras in the past hundred years. So I, I set about designing one that would, uh, that would fit that. And, um, uh, and so I did, I designed this, uh, this tiny, tiny meter. Um, and, uh, once it was ready, I put it on Kickstarter and, uh, and it was quite successful. Um, and, uh, I actually ended up quitting my, my, my day job, uh, to, uh, continue to, to produce products, uh, for this, uh, Reveni Labs company that I, that I created.
0: And I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen your, your, uh, meter in the flashbus. Um, i visited, uh, Back in the days when we could go out and see people and meet people, yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I dropped in more than a few times at uh, Steve Lloyd's house of Chrome right. Camera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I saw your meter there and I was, I was really impressed uh, with the, the, well, one, you get so much into such a small space and actually still be usable um and yeah. also i was i was struck i mean obviously i have an interest in, in 3d printing and i was struck by the quality of the 3d yeah. printing there which is you know, you're using a completely different process well it's an industrial process i don't think you're going to be doing that yourself or you in in your home the way that uh, that, that was printed is it S- that's S- right no, it, um
3: it's uh it's uh it's not sls it's very similar uh, it's called uh, multi jet fusion mm-hmm. it's a powder based system but it uses um um a binder and ultraviolet light to cure the powder.
0: Yeah. Well, the, um, the, so the, it's, the, the finish of yeah. it though is, is exceptional and, and and the quality. So you've got some like really small, you've got like a little battery tray that's really, really small. And, right. you, and you can, And I, I, yeah, it, it works exactly in the way that you expect it to. So, I mean, sometimes 3D printing gets a, a bit of a bad reputation as being sort of low grade. Well, it's in the case of what Absolutely. you're doing there, it's certainly not. Yeah. The, the, uh, the
3: material, the nylon, it's, uh, it's, it's quite robust. It's, um, like it's tough. It's flexible. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not, uh, brittle or anything like that. Um, and, um, and it, it holds up to wear. Well, like it actually, it wears quite nicely. It gets, almost gets better looking as it, as it gets worn. If you, uh, like I have, I have one of the little, um, carrying cases which is made of the same stuff and it's been in my pocket for six months. Um, and, uh, it, I think it looks better now than it did when it was printed. Um, is it sort of taken on a, a sort of a, a, a polish. Um, uh, and that the material is really nice. Um, but it's yeah, it's I mean it's very expensive. The the, the system that that they use and the machines are are very expensive, um, but uh, it allows you to get um, you know a complex part. Um, it's isometrically um, stable. Like there's no there's no XYZ um, strength issues at all. Um, and the geometry you can print totally unsupported geometry and things like that. Uh, so for Simon, that's you know these are these are uh, printing terms uh, that uh, it's 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 like. It's everything good about printing and everything good about um, injection molding, kind of in one, a little bit, and and in the quantities. I mean, particularly for small parts, and in the quantities I'm, I'm dealing with, um, it's uh, it's it's very cost effective compared to having to designed for injection molding and then invest in injection mold tooling and that sort of thing. It really, that really puts a damper on your uh, ability to, you know, bridge the gap between small run and big run is, you know, so, so this, is a, it's a, it's really, it's really nice technology. Um, And it's allowed me to make lots of accessories as well for that product. So um, things like a right angle adapter for uh, like a lot of TLRs have a side mounted um, hot shoe, cold shoe. So there's right angle adapters, and there's all these different things. There's a wrist wrist strap. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's all these,
1: I have I have a number of accessories. Uh, On you your I, finger, can Did I see that, am i am making that up? Yeah, yeah. there's a finger mount. The is like a, there's, a, there's a ring.
2: I'm metering you, there. sir. Yeah. There's a
3: ring. <laughs> um, the ring sells pretty well, actually. which is funny. I I, I think people buy it as a, as a joke. <laughs> i made it as a joke we'll uh, buy it as a joke too but the, um so it's it's a really great uh, technology um that's allowed me to to to, to flourish with this uh, product which is great um
0: so so, that, you, that, so your uh, the, your uh, initial uh meter that that's clearly gone down in, incredibly well and that obviously then gave you the uh uh in, encourage you enough to believe that uh, that the market was there for this new product and uh, yeah and so it's it's made of a, a similar kind of thing we've already talked about it in terms of the way that it it it, it, it works um but this is going to be um another uh kickstarter is that right
3: yeah that's right kickstarter again is another way um i mean you know i had i had the uh the impetus uh from from what I was saying about the prices of, of the other spot meters and stuff that there was maybe something there that gave me the the uh, idea to you know work on this idea uh, further uh, but then Kickstarter is a great way to to prove that people actually will want to buy it. Um so that's why it's it's going to Kickstarter again um as a way to you know um get commitments essentially for for purchases. Um it's a great way to get you know initial an initial product run going. When uh,
1: going live uh, think, Matt
3: that is going live February eighth. It's just a Monday, so it's this uh, nice. recording. What, what time? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be. Uh, I was thinking about noon, but I think maybe I'll do it in the morning um, for the to help with the Europeans. Which uh, which which, run which for time? Days. Like which time? So your time zone in Ontario? Yeah, really? let's say let's say uh, uh, nine a.m. Eastern. So that would be uh, five hours. And- be
1: 2, 2 p.m.
2: GMT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 6 a.m. <laughs> specific time for you folks who are in the earlier time
1: zones like me. And if, <laughs> if you're listening to this in August, then you've missed it.
0: Well, I'm not sure when this podcast is actually going to go out, actually. That's, no. a, that's a thought. No. We, it might have to be just, just, just after. Um, you do <laughs> oh, Maybe tomorrow you can get
3: it out yeah it's totally fine yeah it's a 30-day campaign so you won't you won't miss uh you won't miss it unless you're listening you know months months down the line
2: yeah in which case you should at least go to the website and buy one which case I might be
1: able to just order it yeah Yeah. um you're gonna do um different early bird things and you know stretch goals at other other is stretch goals appropriate to such a thing as you know what that's the thing i uh i don't
3: i don't have any good ideas for stretch goals um stretch Mm -hmm. goals I was reading about stretch goals and generally if you, if you don't have a good reason to do a stretch goal, mm-hmm. like a lot of stretch goals are, are things that don't cost money. Like you will, it costs time. But they don't cost money. Like you'll create you know, another character for your video game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, stretch goals where it ends up costing you more money per backer um, because you added an, an item to the, to the set is yeah. probably generally not a great choice for the, Kickstarter it's a little inside baseball for the for the kickstarter uh, operator but um i don't i don't have any plans for stretch goals i also no. don't i also don't have any uh early bird plans either um early birds are another sort of bizarre um thing that uh you know anybody who's hunting your early bird is, is still probably just willing to to back your project anyway so
2: it's, it's yeah. actually a psychology thing um yeah. i once went to uh it wasn't Kickstarter. There's an, another one of those you know, like fundraising services, but this one was geared around nonprofits. Um, they did a, a thing based in San Francisco. I can't remember which one it was. Um, for, I, I do a fair amount of fundraising with My Bicycle Trips. And they said that one of the things you need to do to run a successful fundraising campaign, which I think applies to Kickstarter, is yeah. people like, inherently don't want to feel like they're backing a loser. And so they're right. like, before you, before you even open it up, get commitments from as many people as possible so that um, within the first 24 or 48 hours, whatever goal you've stated is like over 50% or 60% reached because Mm -hmm. people will go and then psychologically, even if there's something they're super interested in, like a light meter, they'll go and be like, oh man, look at that. It's, it's going like crazy. And they're way more likely to put the money in than if they go two weeks in and you've only got five backers. Yeah, and so I think the the early bird thing is is if you aren't getting enough people pre committing before you even mm-hmm. start to try to get that in, because mm-hmm. the the more people you get in, the sooner you get them in, the more funding you get, the more likely you are to get more funding. And I think you probably saw that with your instant meter. I right?
3: did, yeah, I did, but um, I I think I'm going to try it this time.
2: So yeah, I mean now I... you've now you've got like a bit of market cachet. Like I've I've seen it's your right, instant yeah. meter in in quite a few places. Um,
3: yeah,
1: I'm not so, an unknown quantity uh, the way that I was the first time. So, right. Matt, can I ask yeah. you a little bit about the functionality? I watched Todd sure. Carell's video, so I got, I got yeah. a fair idea of this. Of, I think there are four different sort of modes you can switch this thing into. Well, I tend to, I've got a Minolta Spot Meter F with a close up attachment, weirdly enough, which I only found recently, and I've no idea why I'd want to use it. But anyway, it, mean, it means I can spot meter from about three feet. Okay. So, I tend to use mine. Either picking out a midtone like Todd was doing on a barn door or something, I think, um, but more often than not, I'll either check the brightness range, you know, from the usable shadow that I want to use to a highlight, which I still want to get detail in in my print, yeah, so even though the film might be capable of rendering eight, nine, ten stops from deep shadow to bright highlight all this is getting compressed when you lead to a darkroom print. So I'm looking to be on the safe side of typically sort of five stops between a usable shadow that I want some detail in and a highlight where I still want some texture. So I use a spot meter for that. And I can also, on my spot meter F, um, I can anchor the shadow detail where I want and then move it around. And it says plus one, plus two, plus three. That's really useful as well. I don't really use it for absolute measurements. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know I think your one does an average one, doesn't it, where you can look at the shadows? Well, why don't you just go ahead and tell us what your, the, the way you can sure. use it, the usability of it? Yeah, I wanted to design
3: it so that uh, it was, um, um, if, you, if you liked a certain mode in particular, you could easily ignore the other modes. Uh, there's, three, there's three modes, um, but then in each mode, there's a compare function um which is uh which is kind of getting on what you're describing so there's a single there's a single mode where you um you aim it at what you want you're 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 holding the sample button and you're getting a continuous update of the reading when you let go it it locks it in so at the top of the screen it'll say reading and then when you let go of the button it says locked um and then it will show you the uh, measured ev the uh uh Aperture and the shutter, and then you can use the arrow buttons to change the combination of those of those two values. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also shows you the remainder. So, <clears throat> so right now it, it reads out the shutter and aperture in whole stops. But uh, a lot of people want uh, uh, additional granularity, especially if you've got you know uh, lenses. A lot of large format lenses have you know third stop um, detents on apertures. Shutters are usually not so, um, you know, variable in that way, Um, unless you're, you know, counting your seconds, then you're, then you've got lots of variability. Um, So you've got this, um, you've got these, um, you know, there's limits around, around things like aperture. So um, the meter, um, it's reading to a 10th of a, of a, of a stop, but then it has, it's rounding to the nearest whole stop to give you that number, but it shows you the remainder, how much it rounded by. So if you want to interpolate, um, you know, if you see that it rounded down uh, 0.3, then you know you could, you know, uh, that the real exposure is actually a third higher than, yeah. um, you know, the 125 f11 that the thing's telling you or whatever. So you could do f11 and a third if, you're, if your camera's capable or you're one of those people who likes to ride the, the detents in between the detents on your lenses, things like that. So there's, so there's uh there's increased sort of um, uh, granularity available for people who wish to have it and people whose equipment can, uh, can offer to them. Um, and then, um, so that's, so that's one mode. That's the single mode. So in, in each mode, so after you've locked your reading, uh, you can then press and hold, you press and hold the menu button and that puts it into compare mode. And now it's showing you a relative EV reading to where you're aiming it in real time. So if you locked it on the uh, shadow. You could then t- do a compare on a highlight, and you'll see the EV difference. So it'll show you, either, you know, plus two point three, or if you are going
1: the other way, it would be minus two point three. It's the same color. as stops for people listening who are unsure what when you're talking about exposure value. I know they're locked at sort of 100 ASA and you know one twenty-fifth of a second or something, but right, is yeah, it effectively and it, and it, one EV if you're looking at it in compare mode? one well, EV is always one stop. One difference. Difference. Um, yeah. The, the, the absolute EV is, uh, is a sliding
3: scale based on your yeah. ISO, but the, yes. um, the, and yeah, and then they, and then they, they, the, the, the standard one is at is at a hundred ISO, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but, but yeah, but one stop, one EV is always one stop, uh, yeah. regardless. Yeah. So, yeah. So you can see how many stops you've got and variability. There. Yep. Right.
2: Uh, Which is brilliant by the way. Like that's, I mean, the, 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 the neatness of being able to, to to look at it with two eyes open, that sort of thing aside, I think mm-hmm. for me, that's one of the most attractive things about the whole beast that you're building is the ability to be like, okay, if I'm putting my my zone five, my shadow is here and I want highlights, so I want my, my sha, you know, my mm-hmm. shadow is here or there to actually be able to be like, okay, my mid tone is here. What did my shadows look like? Oh, that's too big of a range. You know, for the people who who go Ansel Adams, which I am mm-hmm. not, who actually keep track of every individual sheet of film that they shoot, mm-hmm. and the exposure range, and then therefore how they're going to like fully zone process the film later, yeah, um, which is an amazing thing to actually see done for for those of you out there who are capable of doing so. I am in awe. A commitment to to the. To, the, to the process and like yeah. the detail level, it's an it's this sort of uh, on, be able to on a fly compare is a great tool.
1: I was like, That's- but but anybody who's making a photograph awesome. is ma- and is making judgments on exposure is automatically using the principles employed in the zone system. You know, because you if you or or if you if you're wondering where your shadows have disappeared to you need to just work out well the the shadows have disappeared because if effectively they've been placed so far down the scale and that could be because the camera and lens system you're using and the meter system you know just um, you thought there was going to be detail but there isn't so you just need to rate the film a bit slower or something like that so as soon as you start as soon as you start moving away from box speed and changing film speed because you want more shadow detail or you start altering your development because, you know, you're wondering why right. your highlights are always blown yeah. out, then you're using the zone system, whether you like it or not, you know? Right.
2: Well, the zone system. you're
1: unconsciously. Is, is, well, yeah, it's, just, it's a structured approach
3: versus the trial and error intuitive approach. And the question is, uh, you know, yep. how much time and money do you have, I guess, to... You know, want to end right. End that way. So anyway, um, so that's, your, that's, your <laughs> that's your first mode. That's the first mode. That's the simplest mode. Uh, on, the, on the outside, that's the simplest mode. The, uh, the next mode is, um, is a two-stop averaging mode. So, you know, the first mode uh, either relies on you placing your, you know, your middle tone um, off middle if you don't have a reference point. Uh, uh, And so, you you know, you're kind of you're kind of fudging around a little bit with that. But um, if you don't have a middle tone and you want to try to find a middle Mm -hmm. tone in the scene, um, there's a there's a two stop averaging mode, a two spot averaging mode. So um, when you go in that mode, the screen says uh, pick your shadow and it shows you the real time EV for where at you know, at that moment. Uh, and then uh, when you let go of the sample button, it locks that one in. And then it says, pick your highlight, you press the sample button again, and now it, show, it shows you on the screen, the um, shadow is locked over here and it's showing you the real-time highlight as you're aiming it. And it's showing you the difference, the number of stops difference in real-time between those two. So you could, uh, you could hunt out your shadow that you want detail in. You could hunt out your highlight you want detail in, and it will show you the uh, the difference in, in uh, the number of stops difference between those two, uh, and then when you when you release on your highlight it then calculates the middle gray EV for that pair and gives you the shutter and aperture for those. Uh, so if you've got if you've got the uh, uh, if you if you picked the basically if you pick the uh, you know um, appropriately bright and appropriately dark zones there you will get your middle zone, uh, computed for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, and then you got the compare function again. So now you can go back, you can see, you know, you can, you could recheck that highlight or you could check another highlight, uh, and see, uh, you know, what that, what the difference, the relative EV or the relative stop difference between those, the, um, the computed middle gray and the, the highlights and shadows are, so you can, you can double check if you, uh, if you want to make sure you, you, You you didn't pick things that were, you know, outlandishly, uh, off essentially
2: (laughs) a 15 stop image, just
3: like a 15 stop image or, or, or you accidentally picked a shadow that was like six stops under gray and a highlight that was only three stops over gray. And so
2: I want details in the sun and in the cave. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you can, uh, so you can, you can check it again. That's the nice thing about the, the compare mode is it lets you just check everything, uh, if you, uh, if you wish. Um that's the second mode um which is maybe would be something Andrew would like. It might be more uh Andrew's speed rather than using the single mode to kind of spoof the 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 second mode there the the averaging mode um and then the third mode uh is um uh is is really interesting i uh I reached out to Nick Carver um to ask him if he wanted to do some testing, and he basically said i'm only gonna like a spot meter that works well with. Uh, his, his, uh, his system, he says, which uh, is called, he calls it the precision method to manual metering. <laughs> it's a, it, it's an extension of the zone system that essentially uh, instead of using um, um, zones that are arbitrary numbers, zone one, zone two, etc. his system uses um, like verbiage to describe brightness and darkness. And you can then select. Uh, so, so um, the way that one works is you are selecting. Um, you 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 pick out a, a spot in your in your in your um, field of view that you want to use. So let's say it's uh, some snow. So that's going to be really bright. You you aim the meter at that, and you pick that spot, and then it asks you to place it. So you select some verbiage that describes it, and you can go from. Uh, textureless black to textureless white, and there's uh, eleven different um, points in between there. But it's you're picking you're picking words, so you could pick uh, nearly white, for example, for some very bright snow. And nearly white essentially means a certain amount above middle gray. And then the system then computes the middle gray based on that selection. Then okay. when you when you press the compare function, you can compare other tones in the scene and it will give you the text readout for those tones so you are you're comparing it to your intuitive ability to judge brightness based on you know not just based on color like the meter can't avoid color and things like that but your own brain you have a sort of intuitive ability to say you know this thing this red car is you know somewhat dark uh even though it's it's red. It's not even, you know. So you're, you like you're, you're leveraging the ability of the human brain to pick certain things out, and it's making it in a more natural text-based uh, setup rather than uh, arbitrary zones that are that are
1: uh, made up, right. uh, As part of a different system. Yeah, I have yeah, seen. Sorry, I have seen books which, you know, I've got loads of books that try and simplify the zone system or explain it, and some do better jobs than others. But I have seen uh, the best ones do actually put that sort of you know, that verbal link to different tones, you know, they talk about sort of textured whites and what, and then the, you know, the, the back of your hand, you know, in, in sunlight on one side and no sunlight on the other and how that relates to different zone placements. So that sounds on the face of it really, really interesting.
2: Yeah. I would say, yeah. cause who hasn't like looked at a color and gone, is that my middle gray? Is yeah. that a middle gray? Or is that a slightly darker than middle gray? <laughs> is that zone five? I don't have a great card on me. Like how do I, Hmm. Like you can, you can think yourself. I
1: I think it's, they say things like grass, you know, grass in slightly shadow might be zone five, but grass in bright highlights might be zone six and skin. Caucasian skin is probably zone six. So you meter that and you should open up one if you want it to record properly. So there's all sorts of nuances, aren't there? Once you get, uh, once you get into it. Um, Then, and then another cool function of that, of that, um, mode.
3: Um, so the way Nick was doing this, does this system is, um, it involves stickers on your meter. Uh, he likes to use it the Pentax digital. He puts a sticker on there that gives him, um, number ranges. Uh, and then you have a chart. So you figure out the words in your head and then you use the chart to convert the words to a number that you set on the meter. So, so it's kind of this clunky inter, intermediate way. So, uh, when him and I worked together to come up with the system for the Raveni lab spot meter, it was to bake the words right into the meter. So you can delete the chart. You don't need any, you know, add on stuff anymore. But one of the things that he did is that uh, depending on what kind of film you're using, you pick a different chart. So if you're shooting slide film, he's got a chart with a smaller um, range between light, uh, between white and black, basically. Uh, And then if you're using black and white film, it's a a larger range and, and so on. And then, Um, You can even, you know, make, you can even like run tests on your film to figure out, you know, your, your own, whatever materials you're using, your own custom range. If you're shooting paper negative or something, you can actually like, you know, figure out what your, where your white sits, how many stops up from middle gray and where your black says, how many stops below middle gray. The, the meter lets you actually set those limits. So if you've got a film that, you know, you can overexpose um, a highlight by five stops and you still get, you know, good detail. Uh, but if you underexpose shadow by two stops, it just goes black on you. You can actually change the settings in the meter so that that verbiage scale is being um, shrunken or uh, uh, compressed or, ex- or extended uh, to, match the, um, to match the materials. So if you have that kind of information, so you can actually set, if you're shooting slide film, you could set the limits in that mode to where textureless white is plus three and textureless black is minus three. But if you're using black and white film, you can set it to plus or minus five, or you know plus five, minus two. Like I was saying, like you can set it to whatever you want. They're independent, hmm. uh, and, it, and it changes the way that the uh, that the verbage is scaled to the absolute light readings that the meters. I mean, the meters actually doing absolute light readings in the background. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
1: So it's, um, it's you sold you sold it. What, so two PM. <laughs> Um, on Monday.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on Monday. Yeah, it'll be a thirty-day campaign, so there's there's lots of time to uh, mm. to get over there and grab it. Yeah. It'll be running till March 10th, probably. I think uh, would be the end date. Um, yeah, and again, it, you know, it's it's really it's really small. It's it's, uh, it's two point seven inches long. Um, it weighs about thirty five grams. Um, it runs on two LR forty four batteries. Um, it's not rechargeable. Um, so you don't you don't have to worry about having it charged. Uh, you just have to you know have batteries on hand. So if you're going on a big trek or something,
0: I think this, uh, the actual size of it and the the the, the lack of weight is, is something I think is really compelling. Um, <laughs> because yeah. I, I must admit I, I don't like using a light meter at the best of times. It's one of those things I, I absolutely have to do. And yeah. um, I, I do own a spot meter, and I own a good reflective ambient meter. And mm-hmm. it pains me to take both of them. And uh, I'm, I tend to use the uh, my uh, Profi 6, my Gossam Profi 6, is, is the meter of choice for me uh, in general. But there are times where I'm there thinking, I, I really wish I've, I've come out with a spot meter. Because most of the time, I don't use a spot meter. But there are times when I really want to. And, and it's like, you know, you can't can, yeah, can so, carry well,
1: a Exactly. You can get your little attachment. You can get your little attachment, but that only gives you a five degree spot. I think I've on the Luna Six F.
0: But that that attachment that goes onto that that is still larger than the Matt's Matt's uh, spot meter. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course it yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah but it just makes yeah. more sense. You can stick that in your pocket. It's tough. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's my challenge. It's going to go in my pocket and it's going to go through the wash. Is it waterproof? Because it's definitely going to go through the wash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
3: don't recommend you wash it it's <laughs> not uh, water sealed that's for sure you've got to buy
0: the waterproof case for it
2: exactly there's a like that
0: with a with with ring a finger a finger ring attachment as well yeah I'm Which not sure about finger the finger ring
2: you
0: know. yeah <laughs> Actually, people don't have they look like a borg when you're
3: yeah. when you're holding it up in front of your eye yeah
1: I had that image of the borg with a, can you get it to glow with a little red light on you sure uh, no, no was, ah. um, but um, um
3: yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's you know it's truly innovative in the uh, with the with the two eye aiming thing. Um, you know that that the that the, the contour uh, viewfinder I guess pioneered. Although this is this is a bigger step. One of the nice things actually is um, because it's got this rear viewing lens. So that, you know that's a really important part of it is this rear viewing lens. Um, the viewing lens is such that when the when when you're looking in this meter from any distance, uh, your eyes are actually relaxed at infinity. Um, you so you you can read the screen that's in there uh, and and look at infinity with your other eye and your eyes are not straining at all to do it like to look in here and read it i actually relax my eyes so like yeah. the, the computer screen that's in front of me right now is blurry uh, but the screen in this thing is is not and that's because it's set to infinity the other nice thing is um uh I'm showing you guys on the camera, but at this distance right here, I can read the entire screen. So there's lots of room for, for classes. If you wear glasses, you don't have to take your glasses off to use this. Um, so that's another nice thing. Uh, and actually, if you are, if you are f- farsighted, uh, you wouldn't need to wear reading glasses either. Um, even though it's so close to your face. And that's because that lens is essentially correcting for, for the distance. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that lens is really the key to the, why this system works. A lot of people, I think uh, have a hard time sort of, imagine that this thing actually does work and it's the, the key is that lens and, and that the optical axis that everything inside the device is, is sitting on everything's lined up on, on a single axis through the entire device. But that lens right. is really important. And what's cool is when you're looking in here and you move your head like this, the, the, um, the, the reticle sits in place. Like it's like looking through a window where when you move your head, the scene doesn't move through the window with your head. The scene is there and your ability to look at the scene and what's obscured by the window frame changes. So this is this is kind of the same way. And the reason that it can be accurate, like we were saying about the contour, is that you when you're looking in here, you're fixating on that, on that uh, reticle in the center of the view there. Uh, like, I, you know, I'm looking through the meter right now, but I'm looking around with my other eyeball. Like, you know, I'm looking over here. I'm obviously not metering, you know, 45 degrees away from the meter. Um, but I'm also not looking in the meter at the same time. I'm, you know, my, my, I'm looking away from the target. So you look at the target and that helps make your other eye align with the, the real subject. That's the key.
2: So I, I have to ask, like when this spot meter is done, it seems to me the only thing that's left is a flash meter.
3: Yeah. Flash meter. And I don't currently make an incident meter. Um, so uh, that's, that's probably the next, uh, the next item on the, on the list. Because I actually have a really good idea for something that's not just like same old, same old. Right. Because
2: uh, I'll show guys
3: when we're done recording, actually. right. I'll tell you guys about it. Let's see what you go Oh, know. hell yes.
2: Okay. Like, yeah, because personally, like, there's yeah. all sorts of apps for, you know, you can buy phone apps and whatnot, or there's free phones, yeah. so there's all sorts of yeah. different, like, metering apps, but yeah. none of them do flash metering. Right, yeah. Flash metering is something that, especially with film, like, you just, you just can't miss you know there's very little room yeah for error well you can't you can't experiment the flash.
3: way that you can with um with digital you just keep shooting right you, ex- you can yeah, you, you yeah. do digital ex- experimentation you know final right. product experimentation with digital whereas with film yeah you don't have that luxury
2: yeah i mean if you want to you can bring a small digital with you and like set it to yeah. the, same, the film or yeah. whatever and pop off a few and make sure you've got the and then switch over to your large format or your or your manual but it's,
3: like, it's like the way they used to use polaroid for, yeah. for proofing
1: exactly exactly now, and i use digital as proofing if you're yeah. but but it's still not perfect right that's the other problem <laughs> yeah matt how useful you um, use it at low lights because i mean i'm my my two favorite meters i've got the lunar 6f which is same as simon's Profix which is designed it goes down to like really low light level sensitivities right. and i can set it to for for paper negatives i can set it to an, an iso of lower than one i think my other one my other small one is um the sikonic L208 sure. twinmate which you can also mount to your camera but it's you know so this yes. is kind of small and it's got a big old dial on it that you know you can read easily it's very it's about as simple as it gets and it's wonderful yeah. it doesn't respond so well in low light though right um so um with any spot meter you because you're rejecting
3: so much of the light as being irrelevant yeah uh, the, you know the actual like usable photons are very low um yeah. so yeah, it sense. does go it does go to EV two at ISO one hundred, um, so it's not you know scraping the bottom of the barrel. The the little meter um, because it's a lot wider it actually it will do uh, EV zero uh, point five. Um, so it's again it's not I mean an incident, an incident meter is the best for ultra low light because uh, you're not wasting any photons bouncing it off the the, the subject right. An incident mm-hmm. meter is by far the most uh, sensitive. Uh, and also you can make a really large, um, sensor as well, right? Like you've got that diffusing dome over top. You could have a solar panel under there taking in, you know, every photon that hits that thing. And, um, you know, like if you had a big solar panel, you could meter her starlight, right? You could beat her on a, on a, on a moonless night of EV negative six or something like that. Um, so, but it's all about practicality at some point you got to bring it back to the real world. Um, So, so it's, it's not, it's not, you know, hypersensitive, uh, EV2 is, you know, um, like dim indoor, um, probably. Um, but for most sensible users, it's going to be fine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, there's, there's practical limits to, uh, to what you can do when you're trying to only measure one degree of the, of the space. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's yeah. So that's the lower limit. But the uh, the uh, it runs from uh, ISO one up to ISO twelve thousand eight hundred, which is okay. a little silly, silly, silly high. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to leave anybody in the lurch.
2: Well, well, now you want make me want to push like some Tmax thirty two hundred and like yeah, two stops yeah. And go for broke.
3: Well, it has it has exposure compensation as a function, uh, so you can you can tweak your exposure. Um, you know, by third stops, uh, up and down, um, by plus or minus two stops. So you don't actually have to spoof the ISO in order to do exposure compensation. Um, you can leave your ISO as the, as the sort of normal ISO and, 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 uh, like the true ISO of the film and tweak your, tweak your exposure compensation. If you, if you know that you want to, you know, overexpose by two thirds of a stop because you like the colors better that way or something like that. Um, and then uh, apertures run from, uh, 0.7 up to, um, 1024. So it's, uh, it has uh, pinhole, pinhole scale, uh, uh, um, apertures, uh, built in. Right. And shutters run from one hour to one 8,000. <laughs> so it has, so it has pinhole times and pinhole, uh, apertures, uh, Baked in as uh, I mean pinholes vary a lot. You know, you buy yeah. you buy a, a pinhole from from somewhere. You know, they're they're all over the place. They don't they don't fit the normal scale. So yeah. I've, I've extrapolated the normal scale out. You know, um, um, f one twenty eight, f ninety, f yeah, f 90s lower, f two fifty, things like that. So right. it goes it goes it goes up to ten twenty four or yeah.
1: that that sizes that I use. Loads, you know, that come in. on big into pinhole, yeah. so that's I didn't realize that, you know, f. your meter 000. was going down to that. Fantastic. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, the shoe meter does that too. It's got a very wide range. That was one of the things I wanted mm-hmm. to. I mean, it, you know, it's just more. It's just more math. So I figured it was a good uh, good option yeah. to expand the, the feature set. And uh, you know, I know a lot of like pinhole guys. They will meter at you know f sixty four, and then you know uh, mm-hmm. add uh, Multiply the the time by, by whatever you know thirty two right. or something to compensate.
2: Well, it's it's interesting because I, I was only having a small tongue in cheek moment with like shooting thirty two hundred ASA film at sixty four hundred or whatnot, uh, because that's, that's something. Yeah, actually, that's we true. have an email about about folks who probably do ill advised things, that, like going to school for photojournalism and Tmax thirty two hundred came out. It was a ground changing moment. Yeah, for sure. To be able to, to shoot like Tmax like. Uh, a basketball game and get one, two fiftieth of a second, arguably at F two eight and not have to use like the giant house strobes, you oh. know? Um, and we actually, to segue slightly into, into another email, um, since this is also the email show, um, we, we had talked about, uh, diversifying our, our subject matter, um, out of like pictorial and, um, landscapes and portraits into photojournalism. And because like, The the press graphic, the speed graphic that we all know and love, you know, had its roots in press photography, right? The giant, speaking of which, like the giant strobe that just like lit like the sun. Um, And there are still a few people, a few unicorns out there shooting maybe not daily, but shooting press and news and documentary on large format. So Chris King, who also uh, messaged me on Instagram with these folks, hey, Chris, what's going on, uh, sent an email because we were, we were talking about where do we find uh, more documentary or press photographers who shoot large format. And so Chris has an answer. Uh, Good afternoon, folks. I was listening to your last show, number 43, and Eric mentioned looking for more press photographers who shot film on large format. I thought it would pass on two names that you may or may not have heard of. Jareb Ortiz. He's a large format photographer for the U.S. National Park Service. And Frank Thorpe. He covers U.S. Capitol for NBC. Check out the dry plate picture he took after the insurrection. And the, obviously, David Burnett, but you already know about him. Love the show. I'm looking forward to the 2021 season. Keep up the good work. Love from Canada. Another Canadian, Chris King. Um, which is great. I... I had heard Frank Thorpe's name or I'd seen him mentioned in the past, but I couldn't remember the name, which is terrible of me. Um, and Jared Ortiz, I'm probably saying his name wrong. Did you, any of you see this job opening? Did you know, I think it was four or five years ago, yeah, a job yeah, came yeah. up, that the U S yep. national park service was looking for a large format photographer and everyone was yeah. just, just like, yeah.
1: What?
3: I remember that.
2: Yeah, everybody who shoots any sort of film was just like a jaw drop moment of like the National Park Service hires that? That's a full time
3: job. I think they created that position. Uh, like that was the f- like they were yeah they were trying to replicate you know maybe the the uh, Ansel Adams esque um, right. You know, wrong about take large format photos.
2: Yeah, so this is the guy um, who got the gig, and I looked him yeah. up. He's actually a cheesehead like me. He's from Wisconsin, nice. from Milwaukee. Yeah,
0: you betcha. And, um, I was just going to say just, just on that one, um, Dan Pratt um, contacted me uh, be- before, and uh, we've, we've, we've also had this conversation um, a, a week or so ago. Um, because uh, that's that's two people uh, that have uh, nominated uh, Jarob for, for us to be yeah. talking to. But this is also uh, um, architectural photography as well, uh, which is One something that we've we've not done that at all. And that's something I'm really excited about okay. trying to be able to do something there. So um, yeah. we, we will be pursuing that route.
2: And it's interesting because most folks think National Park Service, and you think like Yosemite and you know the big the big Nash, like you know wildlife and what's but the national park service actually runs like most of washington dc all of like the lincoln memorial like all that stuff falls beneath the national park service mm. uh so yeah absolutely he does uh, that job does a ton of interior and exterior architecture because that's all national park service land like as a park ranger you may be posted in the middle of the wilderness or you may be posted in downtown dc like at the lincoln memorial or the washington memorial like the the, the the postings vary widely, uh, which is fascinating topic in and of itself. Um, but the other gentleman, he mentioned Frank Thorpe. I definitely suggest giving him a follow. He shoots beautiful images. Um, he does dry plate portraits. He does dry plate news shots uh, when obviously there isn't somebody throwing rocks at him. Um, like His still life stuff post-insurrection of the Capitol building is really quite stunning. Um, so... I think. And also there's another gentleman that we've been in touch with uh, that we're trying to schedule a, a French photographer named Eric Bouvier, B-O-U-V-E-T, um, who does, he's a member of the seven agency, which is a, a now storied and legendary photojournalism agency um, who shoots a lot of large format. Uh,
0: just, just, just going back to uh, Frank, Frank, Frank Thorpe. Um, he was on the, grainy day It was actually somebody i was i was thinking about getting in touch with actually um a, a good while back and um he went on the grainy days podcast and that goes back to i've just brought it up uh, december the 11th 2019 um and he he did a great show with them to the point i was thinking you know having, having listened to that i was there thinking well, actually, I've almost heard what I need to hear and what, all the, you know, the questions I'd be wanting to ask we're, were pretty much asked on that show. So um, I think it'd be a good idea if people uh, um, did a look, searched out the Grainy Days podcast and that's uh, Days is okay. spelt with a Z or a Z.": uh, <laughs> That's what all the cool kids do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a far cooler podcast than we are. Um, and uh, so do do check that out. So um, I'm not sure what episode number it is, but it, it, it occurred on the December 11th, 202019. Uh, thrank Frank Frank Thorpe, <laughs> you're having problem today, my friend. <laughs> yeah, have, yeah. Um, Frank Thorpe, the, the, the fifth, I think that's going to be, and uh, gives us gives us the report. So uh, that's well worth checking out. And uh, also on that, um, the, the, this email, here, the the, uh, the great David Burnett uh, was mentioned oh, yeah. there. And yep. um, funnily enough, that is a, that is something that we are working on. In fact, actually, it's it's part of Eric's um, contract of being on the show. Uh, that, i'm not official uh, until along until with sally, know, Mann. Yeah. sally Mann. and sally man is yeah um, oh <laughs> yeah they are, they are the two people that eric has to get um until the point where if he doesn't then well, well it's the, like the salary. latter
2: gets higher and higher
0: yeah yeah
2: i'm an intern until until to apparently tree, both yeah. of those of those storied <laughs> photographers come on onto the podcast yeah it's my right of passage Apparently.
0: <laughs> so, actually, that's the point. If if there's any if any of our listeners have got uh, inroads into either of those uh, those, those two people that can help Eric out, then
2: uh, um, I'll take him. I'll take all help I can
0: Exactly. Just drop us a line, and uh, this is a good opportunity to say how how can people drop us a line, Andrew.
1: Um, they Anderson. can send an email to large format photography podcast at gmail <laughs> Exactly. I'm just I'm just looking at another email that we had, but I'm not sure that we're gonna we're going to carry on reading emails or we're going to uh, call it. I, fair?
0: I think which well, one? I think we've just
1: got. Ian, we've only really got time. Oh, go on. Ian then. Wallace is that one?
0: Yeah have we got Have we got time to do do it got justice? Got, uh,
2: which wait Which one is that? Hmm. Oh, what do I enjoy?
1: Yeah, hang out. Leave it because leave it, it might go on a little bit with it's another just it's another thought provoking one. So exactly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just uh maybe just do the, yeah.
0: okay. I think the money just, grabbing one. Yeah, do, do the do, money, do, money grabbing do, one. Do, do the well, last which, one. Yes, yeah, go for that one. Let, let people which, know. which 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 mean, is this I was Ian. gonna say, to be fair though, that that one, the money grabbing one, it has actually been on the list since the eighth of November, so we're not that money grabbing. <laughs>
1: no, and we're the not. fact that he couldn't find anywhere to give us money anyway, clearly demonstrates that we're not money grabbing.
2: Truth, truth. But Ian, Ian (laughs) Wallace, uh, just uh, to let you know, we do have your email. We actually think it's a really good email. Um, Just like Tim's, Tim, seriously, we liked your email. Um, And we will get to it on the next show Uh, because hopefully, you know, the next show we'll, we'll have, you have really good guests and our next guest will help us with your email. But the, the, the one from November (laughs) that we just haven't gotten to from Mr. Wellman, Michael Wellman. I would love to donate to your podcast, but I don't see you listed on the Ko-Fi webpage. Is there something special you have to do to find you? I think Mm -hmm. I remember you talking about this problem on one or more of your episodes. Let me know. Thanks. No, thank you, Michael, for actually wanting to buy us coffee. I'm just going to start with that
0: yeah Thanks, and, I, and I, I don't know if it's any easier to find now because i mean you can go on to coffee.co.uk not, not, no it's coffee.com isn't it so ko um and do a search for try lfpp try large format photography podcasts. i don't i don't know pe- people have managed we could, to find this post a link oh my word do people look at our show notes i know Andrew yeah. spends hours writing them All right of course they do.
2: Don't
1: don't dis, don't dissuade Andrew from his contribution. There you go. I found it straight away with a quick Google search. So I, I typed in L F P P K O F I and right at the top it says buy large format photography podcast a coffee. Well there you go. And you click on that and I can support Yeah, there you go. I can do it. Okay. Support large all format right. photography podcast. So and we all will I can, also all all I can say link. is hang on, who wrote this email? Back in uh, Michael, Michael Bellman. Michael, you Michael weren't ti- you weren't you weren't trying too hard. That's all I can say. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh. And then, then, then Michael, of course, then went on a month later to write to Matt Marash. Uh, yeah. Was- <laughs> so
1: we, we get the message, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but th- thank you all the same. It's it's, it's it, you, definitely- LFPp space pofi, and you can find you can find us there.
2: Yeah. It's, it's sometimes I get a I still get after being on the show several times now I still get a bit of a cultural shock of the the British snark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like you that's so no it's just British. It's fine.
0: It's what we it's do. It's just the way you are. Yeah, it's what yeah. you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, And I think this is actually a good time uh, just to say thank you to those people uh, that have donated to us, that have managed to find us. And I can't remember how long ago I I last did this. I know I didn't do it last time. So uh, let's go back uh, a fair way. And if I'm going to repeat anything, well, there you go. Well, thank you again. So I'm going to start, let's start this year. Uh, and Billy Sanford, uh, who uh, wrote our f- wrote, he wrote in. It's the it same like he wrote is the American way of saying things, isn't, isn't it? But there you go, um, Billy Sanford. Uh, cheers, have a round on me. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Kelly, Thanks, Billy. yeah, uh, Kelly Mather, Metha. Sorry. Um, uh, thank you. Always great discussions. Thank you, um, Patrick Med. Uh, finally caught up to date, having listened back to the beginning. Thanks for the podcast, chaps. Thank thank you. Uh, Cam Shaw. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, guys, uh, so much for all the hard work in producing such an entertaining and informative podcast. It makes my daily commutes very enjoyable. Thank you very much, Cam. Uh, Steve Williamson. Um, oh, this is longer. Let me just click on that button so I can read what it says here we go really good stuff not just not just technical details a large format but but recently so much good discussion about projects and inspiration and carrying out art and, an artistic mission and com- uh, yeah and commitment to human rights um expanding our worlds in the age of covid contradiction uh, contraction sorry so uh, thank you uh, thank you for that steve um and uh, Mike Rattel uh, love the podcast. Your shows are inspirational to those of us new to large format. Um, one cup each uh, for Simon and Andrew. Um, sorry, Eric. Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, I haven't got Sally
2: Mann or, or David Burnett on yet. Absolutely exactly, exactly, not exactly.
0: deserve a cuppa. Absolutely correct. Um, Heather Oakless. Um, and uh, large uh lensless podcast guest on the possibly more than one occasion um love the show and we've also mentioned it several times on the uh, on the show as well uh love the show makes me happy thanks thank you very much heather um and then the uh, the, the a person that has previously donated um this is me talking uh, the, just simply for, to get me to say his name, and I still can't do it and it's aram uh, um have a now. Have a uh, which i thought at one point might be um Finnish because it's got some strange things above the a's
1: um, i think you need to write back in and spell your name phonetically for that simon <laughs> yeah. i think you did actually with say your that next last time. with your next coffee donation yeah. you can <laughs> yeah you yeah you did
0: try to get him to do that last time i well, say him i mean <laughs> i don't know um but Gosh. i actually think he's from romania now um so we are, we, we we're track, tracking you down um yeah. and uh, and he says um, <laughs> I'm not going to try and say his name again. Uh what a powerful episode with David Johnson. Yes it was.
1: Derek. Yes. yes, Derek Derek's brother is
0: it? Simon? Yeah,
2: Derek's brother, <laughs> David.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Him. Um and uh, finally Christopher J May. Uh, some really uh, some really, really excellent shows recently, guys. Uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Christopher. Really appreciate it. So that that's... We're, we're up to date on uh, on coffee donations. So uh, thank thank you all for, for doing that. Thank you, much. Um, now, uh, Matt's been very, very quiet and patient for uh, far too long. Um, although, yeah, patience is a virtue. So thank you very, very much, uh, much Matt. Um, thank you for being on the show. You've been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, so... Um let's get out a few things uh, as to how people can um, yeah, direct people to the things that you do, your websites, uh, talk a little bit more about how, how people are going to find you on Kickstarter and also, you know, how can people can just keep up with the kind of things that you do on other social media and things like that. Sure. Um, so uh, Reveni Labs,
3: uh, R-E-V-E-N-I dash L-A-B-S dot com. Um, that's where you can order my products um, the Kickstarter will be uh, <clears throat> like we said it'll be starting uh, February 8th um, if you search Reveni Labs on Kickstarter it'll pop right up I'm sure um, there'll be two kickstars on there now under uh, with that name in there but uh, you'll know which one is the spot meter and um, Reveni Labs on Instagram and uh, my own Instagram um, if you want to see some of the stuff I do, you know, building stuff and uh and when I build a camera that goes on there uh is uh mattjbechberger on Instagram. Um, and uh yeah, that's it. Uh, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll check out my my kickstarter. Um see if you think uh my spot meter is for you and uh, and maybe if not, maybe you'll also like my, my previous product, the uh Herveni Labs light mirror, is uh is in stock and available. So yeah.
0: And yeah. also if you um I'm talking to listeners now, um if you head over to the lot not the lot that's that's the one we run, isn't it? Um the homemade camera podcast. Um I've not listened to it yet and I'm but you were <laughs> recently on the homemade camera podcast i believe i saw I'm... that's correct yeah last week uh i was on there um
3: uh yeah they're a good uh, bunch of guys you know they talk about uh building uh cameras um <clears throat> ethan moses is on there now as a uh, third host um, so he's always cooking up all kinds of things yeah, uh, um, just 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 and, so you know, uh,
0: Ethan and Nick have both been guests on our podcast as well. So okay, we have a, a relatively yeah. incestuous relationship with the homemade camera podcast. It's true. So, uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> we get yeah
3: they, yeah they they build I mean they, they build a little large format too um, because it's uh, it's probably the most accessible uh, building format. Right. Yeah. Right. Building small is harder than building large. I didn't I didn't mention it. The uh, the price for the spot meter. Um it is going to be uh, 225 dollars Canadian, which is about 185 us so it does you know come in lower than um, a lot of the other you know used certainly a lot you know a third of the price of the new options, but lower than a lot of these used meters as well. so you know um when I you know I, I wanted to target a a price point that was you know um, like I wanted to you know more more features and more versatility for less money so 185 us for the you know if i think most people have their local currency pegged in their head to the u.s
1: dollar so um 134 pounds sterling apparently 134 pounds per
0: <laughs> yeah uh
1: it's it cheaper every time we talk about it it was 250 <laughs> then it came down to 118 now it's 134 <laughs> Fantastic good good luck with that uh that,
0: that kickstart and i think or like one ten thousandth of a bitcoin <laughs> yeah. that's right uh, yeah. no, I've, I've got i've got no doubt that it's going to be successful there's no, no no two ways about it um right let's just uh do our our quick goodbyes now in any kind of other shout outs actually i'll do matter i'll go uh, come to you first have you got any shout outs you might, might wish to give um, I usually like to shout out, I do like
3: to shout out the home and camera podcast. So that you kind of did that for me. Um, I like those guys. They're good uh, supporters of me. They talk about me pretty regularly. It seems I've been on it a couple times now. Uh, Nico's photography show on YouTube, uh, is a fantastic resource. His, his weekly news is great. Uh, Nico and I talk pretty regularly. Um, he's one of my, he's one of my spot meter testers. Um, he's a great guy. He's yeah. He's, he's, he's dedicated to ex- exactly to supporting, you know, all kinds of, whatever's going on in film he supports it so um he's he's a great resource and
2: uh <gasps> he'd be a great good guest guy. he'd be a good guest as well I didn't because didn't bring him on
1: he posts he has an eight by ten devere enlarger and, and does color processing and large format he's, he's yeah. yeah good guy yeah and the and some of the other guys help me out with the spot meter now uh um with their
3: opinions and stuff nick carver matt marash has one um a uh, Todd Coral, you saw the uh, review video. He did a great review video the other day, um, and um, uh, Benjamin Horn has one, um, and a guy named uh, Mike Basher has one as well. Um, so there's a few out there right now getting uh, getting some you know, external feedback uh, on the, the specifics, and uh, and uh, overwhelmingly it's been been, been positive. They uh, they're all uh, pretty impressed and happy with it. So. Yeah. So yeah, there'll be some videos leaking out uh, over time of, uh, of their impressions and reviews and things like that, and um, and I'll, I'll be sure to stick those in the Kickstarter uh, as well. And uh, uh, that, that's about it for me. That's yeah. my that's, main focus right now.
0: I was going to say that's more than yeah. most people can muster. So uh, you're doing, doing yeah. really well yeah. there. Um, totally. Yeah. And uh, so let's let's go over to. Andrew and, and the Fens, um, any, uh, yeah. any shout-outs
1: and things like that? I do, actually, yeah. Only the one, I think I mentioned it earlier, the Facebook group. Now, I know Facebook's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, you know it's where a lot of interesting interactions go on. And a face, small Facebook group, 512 members as I'm looking at it, Photography, Books and Theory so it it doesn't just recommend books it uh, it challenges you to think about different aspects of photography and uh, to be honest i've come out of loads of groups recently mainly the gear ones and I'm, this is just one i wouldn't leave so it's run by a lady called holly gilman and uh, photography books and theory group on facebook
0: i am joining right now and, uh, Eric, have you got any show Um,
2: As always, a shout out to my long suffering, very patient fiance, Heather, um, for putting up with my random shenanigans and even supporting them. Uh, she just got me a cool little uh, cool tool for cutting carbon fiber and copper sheet for the 8x10. Uh, the old home place lens build that I'm doing requires a bit of both. Uh, so, that. And um, Dan Cowles, I'm going to shout him out again, the director of of Ride So Take Photos. It looks like by the end of this month, the movie will be publicly released because Dan just hasn't let it go and he's going to get it in distribution. And uh, that's kind of weird and awesome at the same time. Uh, and then last but not least, the, the East Bay uh, Photography Group that Jenny Sampson and I belong to just continues to just like push people to do work and share and collaborate. It's a really great community, mm-hmm. and uh, I just get so much help and brainstorming and ideas and inspiration from that crew here in Oakland. So, as always, props to them.
0: Yeah. Well, I think on, on that note then, uh, about your thanking your, your fiancé there, I think I should thank my wife, who's uh, um, clearly – um from the smell of things she's she's kept a, a tonight's tea uh going um and not served it yet i'm um, thinking that it must be finishing soon um and she just called the kids down now i think she's given up on me now so i yes. think that's a, a definite um reason that we should try and finish this I off have, as quickly as human possible
1: i have to go and cook ours well you've got it made haven't you
2: yeah. wait is is tea a term for dinner
1: yeah he's a, he's yeah. a northerner they have tea we have dinner
2: yeah. I was to say she's got a pot of tea. Well, that's very nice. Yes, dinner. At- the, kids the kids have
1: tea. I'm no, they have fun. Eric. Eric, they have dinner at twelve o'clock, and yeah. then tea time is like you know five, six o'clock. Your evening meal, if you want, you know.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It explains the hobbits so much. Second tea, second breakfast. Like second I don't- breakfast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I live. Have in you a seen sh- Simon's shire toes? Shire as well. Have you seen Not Simon's shire. Simon's yeah. hairy toes? <laughs> your hairy toes, on. no, well, this is a podcast there's only us four on the video yeah, we can see yeah. oh look at that wow well, he really has got hairy toes isn't he maybe another
0: time um but uh <laughs> yes on 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 that note let's let's try and wind this down as best as we can as quickly as we can um um and,
2: tips.
0: yeah andrew um hmm. we've you've, i'm not going to ask you about how to people get in touch again with us, no, with us. We've no, already done that. No. but how yeah. can people keep up with the kind of things that you do
1: outside of this show and what are oh, they? on twitter and instagram as Warboys snapper really and then also in the lensless podcast facebook group and in our large format photography facebook group yeah so Warboys yeah. snapper mostly everywhere yeah and eric same for you
2: uh yeah just instagram mostly eric E R I K H mathy m-a-t-h-y and you'll see the lens builds um hopefully soon some dry plate photography i've got some j lane uh glass plates mm-hmm. coming That's to fun. me uh, mm-hmm. to start doing a project i can talk about the next podcast and as always rabbits
0: bunnies yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that guy okay well i'm on uh twitter is simon form on instagram as simon Forster photographic which is also the name of my website if you stick dot com or no dot co.uk uh on the end of that uh i do another podcast called the classic lenses podcast which i rarely mention that actually on this show but there you go um although i did talk about it only my two co-hosts uh johnny Sisson and perry g that love to talk about rangefinders so you know I, I try and get off that subject whenever possible but there you go um and uh, that's it so i just want to say thank you again to matt uh, for being with us and uh, keeping your your pussycat uh happy there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for uh, thanks for having me I appreciate it it's been good it's been it's been great um okay um i want to say thank you to uh kevin mcleod of incompetech.com who was uh playing us out at the moment with uh our excellent music two finger johnny um and that's it so uh hope you enjoyed the show and uh goodbye
1: bye peace bye